We are live. Good morning. Hey, what's up? Hey, welcome. We're live. <laughs> Coming right back at you at the NPR Network. <laughs> yeah, hey, hey, <laughs> soundboard, soundboard. <laughs> uh, yeah, we've all been up. Everybody's gone. <laughs> yeah, they're like, oh, shoot, never mind. Oh, that's great. It's been a morning, that's for sure. Yeah, you've had quite the... Uh, oh, sh- yeah, I've been up earlier than I, I my alarm went off and i was like why is my alarm going off it's my day off like what the hell is wrong oh yeah i've got shit to do damn it yeah right yeah <laughs> so um yeah the 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 vet visit was first on my agenda today and and i'm actually this afternoon after this taking my car and to finally go get fixed after being hit with that sign on the freeway that one night a month ago right <laughs> um yeah so spending a lot of money today on uh the vet bill and then you know my my deductible for insurance and good thing I got, got that <laughs> stimulus check in some <laughs> hopefully some yeah. turn, you know yeah yeah so i've already had my fair share of coffee needless to say i did a whole press and i put it in like this big mug that i have that keeps things uh-huh. ridiculously hot it's one of those arctic mugs um and yeah. it actually has like my logo like etched into it and everything my good buddy oh, scott cool. scott bolter made it for me and uh but it was literally warm up until you know a few minutes ago when i finished it because that thing is so hot i can't drink it for the first like hour it's in that cup and right. so, so I've already had plenty of coffee. I've already driven like 60 miles there. Like, you know, my vet is 25 miles away. So I'm like there and back and, and stuff in between. And so I'm like, Hmm, it's uh, it's 10 o'clock and I feel like I need a nap already. Wow. You're on, yeah. you're on my schedule now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's going to be a long one, but at least I have power and at least you can see me because we're in the snake room, which means my breakers back on, which means the lights oh, are on. Good. At the, at the expense of my garbage disposal, I'll have you know. Oh, my goodness. It's yeah. just a mess. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's just the ghetto California living, you know. <laughs> you have somebody come out and fix the breaker? or? Well, so the apartment complex has a maintenance guy who, okay. you know, on the side does stuff and it'll come in. So he's, you know, he just swapped out a breaker that ran my garbage disposal for the one that runs literally half of the fucking apartment. Excuse my language. Um, I don't know. It's old, man. It's old. I don't know why they did it that way, but hey, it, whatever. So we just got to make it work for a little while longer, you know? Yeah. Our heater is is busted in here, and I just found out that's because it's from 1968. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I bet you the heater that stands up in mine, like one of those wall heaters, is probably almost as old so. yeah yeah uh, all this crumbling california infrastructure damn it yeah <laughs> yeah no kidding i know you guys pay enough in taxes you should be uh, pristine oh, over there <sighs> well they're finally get, they're finally fixing our roads like our highways and freeways are an atrocity mm-hmm. with all the potholes and damage from like you know just roots and trucks and poor construction so now naturally all of our freeways are a mess with construction which is equally as awesome but gotta love it yeah it's just i gotta get out of here man the other day i was craving like a camping trip or something so badly like it doesn't even have to be far or exotic just getting away you know so i'll tell you what i uh i stumbled upon this guy on youtube um and his channel is called hold on 
It's called, um, I think it's called Scott's Walkabout. Okay. And I have this, I don't know, as of, I guess, I, I don't know, man. I don't know what it is, but as of recent, I it, like as a past year, it's got, no, it's called Scotty's, Scotty's Gone, Gone Walkabout. Walkabout. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh. So, two couple things, right? One, he does a, um, him and his, I don't know if it's his wife or his girlfriend or whatever, but they camp. And they pretty much go through like they're in Alice Springs and they go to Uluru and then they keep going out. Um, and what do you want? Are you watching it? I'm just like scrolling through the video. Thumbnails. Oh, oh, okay. All right. I'm like super I, jealous. Like, look at. Oh, yeah. That's what I need. Dude. And I'll tell you what he it's like. I, I like watching camping people in the U.S., but it's like I'm killing two birds with one stone. It's like I'm watching Australia Mm -hmm. I'm watching, um, you know, what the environment looks like to these various places that he's going to. Mm -hmm. And I'm getting my camping fix. And I'm like, yeah. man, I'm so jealous. If I lived in Australia, I'd be camping all the time. Yeah, dude. The guy, he's like, he just paddles down the river and it's like all quiet. And it looks like Jurassic Park around them, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, that's great. There's this, there's this, Highly inner, recommend it. there's this inner like nomad, like, granola yes. hippie in me that yes, comes from me my too. mom <laughs> my mom used to ride her horse to college in davis you know what i mean like she would tire her oh, horse shit. up on the tree outside at davis like she was that that gal uh and that was in the 80s you know it's not like yeah. you know it was with when cars weren't around or anything you know <laughs> um and uh and and so i've always grown up that way where she like she doesn't want me to stay at home you know when she goes somewhere so she takes me and said go loose on the hills don't hurt yourself don't get lost or anything so like that's how i always grew up and man i've got friends that like after college they did grad school and after grad school they refurbished a van and like uh -huh. made it livable and traveled and went to mexico for a while i have a buddy one of my housemates from college he got one of those Honda pilots and retrofitted it with everything he would need and hit all the continental U S including Alaska and, and did this whole tour of the United States for a full year yeah. and just saw everything. And somebody wrote like a whole magazine article about it. And he, it's just amazing. And I find myself like, there's this inner version of me. That's like, if I'd have never found, you know, yes. these like, the snakes and how you can keep them and I never found establishment in this and that I would totally be that guy like yeah. refurbing like a, a van and living in it and traveling and just Dude, there is there is nothing like road tripping across the country and running yeah. around and back like even if you don't have the opportunity to like get out and and hike or camp or anything like just you you have to watch like the landscape change gradually right because you're mm -hmm. far, like you're not going that fast and just to like see everything shift across mm -hmm. the entire uh you know continent all these like different biomes and habitats mm -hmm. yeah, so cool like yeah I think the the southeast was my favorite like looking area like georgia and and the yeah. little bit of florida i got like it's so so different although like yeah stuff so cool yeah the yeah. spanish moss yeah. and the mangroves and the swamps yeah it's beautiful out there but it is something special about that and to like sleep in a van or something and have it all like set up to just go that would be sweet <laughs> yeah there's something something relaxing and peaceful about having zero commitment zero ties you're like what yeah. do i gotta do today nothing dude whatever i want yes 
when I retire, that's like the whole like, oh man, I would love it. Can you imagine the herping you could do with like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, you have a sprinter van or something built, split it so there's like a bunk so you can sleep up top. You got a little couch, a little cooking stove, a burner so you can just pull over somewhere and like open up the back and live and then just travel to all these, you know, herp spots and go species spotting that you've always wanted to. Like, that would be yeah. epic. It would be epic. And then, you don't do it in the U.S. You do it in Australia, and that's yeah. like the, the, this guy's like the icing on the cake for me because it's like, yeah, the U.S. is cool and everything that's going on and all that is great, but now like now now imagine doing it in Australia, you know, mm-hmm. which is even in some of those areas is so remote. Yeah, you know, and like the he's like I'm looking at the Milky Way tonight, and I'm like, oh, I'm so jealous. Yeah, <laughs> just eating like at the campfire, like yep, yep. Yeah, that would be cool, man. That would be really cool. One day. But you'll dig it. You should you should watch his videos, Riley. I just, if you're into I that, just subscribe. You, should, like, you yeah. will love it. You will love yeah. it. You know? Yeah, I found myself watching because uh, I, I bought uh, a subscription for Discovery Plus the other day because it has a few shows that I wanted to watch. But I was scrolling through, and it's got tons of Australian wildlife and Australian nature shows and all sorts of stuff. So I subscribed to a bunch of that and put them on my list so I can go back and watch it. And I was watching one the other day that's just Australia wild. And it was showing like dingoes and kangaroos and how these, like these grasshoppers change color when the storms are coming and how the Aborigines noticed that thousands of years ago. And just talking about all this wildlife. And it was just, ah, man, I just, at the very least I have these shows that I can watch to kind of get lost in, but, man yeah i really need to i really need to get out there it's it's plaguing me i I have like dreams about it it like haunts me at work me too people come and they talk about all their trips they're like oh yeah i did this and this i'm like son of a bitch (laughs) losing my mind (laughs) yeah yeah well i'm hoping tomorrow i go into work and there will be blackhead eggs and then the moment shortly after yeah something (laughs) um Real quick, the video you should watch, the first one should be called Van Life Around the Aussie Outback. Okay. Van, Van Life. Life Around the Aussie Outback. Yeah. All right. How far back is that one? Oh, there it is. Um, I found it. it? Yeah. yeah. Put yeah. that one as your first one. You, It's him and his girl, and they, they, they do that. They're in the in a van, front, you know, like little stove in the van and all. And they, oh, dude, it's, it's crazy. That's, That's awesome. got to be so freaking cool. I want that. All right, we got a question from Sean Porter real quick. He's saying, looking for a jungle female, any suggestions for a breeder? Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, Owen well, just got a clutch of eggs. So Yeah, man, that female is nice. Yeah. That's scattershot stuff. And, yeah, yeah, so Owen Very will nice. have babies. Uh, Andrew Paris is always a fantastic uh, individual for, for getting jungles. David Haston. Um yep. Who else? There's a lot of people. Scott Borden when he produces stuff. Yep. Um, uh, trying to think who else. Obviously, Nick produces jungles. Um, Stephen Katz produces jungles. Mike Curtin yeah. produces jungles. He's got some nice clutches going too yeah. this year. So yeah. he should be able to find some cool stuff. So yeah, yeah. hit them up and mm-hmm. uh, he should be uh, yeah. good. I think the only jungle clutch I, I'll be getting this year will be uh, a zebra to zebra clutch repeat from 2019. So 
We'll see. We'll see. I, I love uh, I love it when you have a female that's gone multiple times and you can see the pattern of when she produces because she like depending on when she sheds, her cycle might be exactly to the day as it was two years ago when she produced. Wow. Um, if she sheds in five days, which might be perfectly on time with how she's looking. Oh, yeah. Martin Roseman's another good jungle producer. Oh, yeah. Um, I forgot about that. Uh, yeah, she might have her clutch exactly on the, the same timeline. I'll be interesting to see if this clutch is a train wreck like the last one because <laughs> it's a zebra to zebra clutch. They're unrelated zebras, but we know how that stuff works. And uh, two years ago, the clutch I got was like 13 eggs. And by the time incubation was over, I only had seven viable eggs left. So we'll see. For sure. How's the bells Um, going? Well, they're both hidden under the hide at the moment. Um, They're both kind of darkened and shed. So uh, Mm. I think they're just kind of going to shed out in the next few days, but I'm just leaving them together for right now. Perfect. Uh, Yeah. And then kind of going to gauge it as I see fit. They both have taken two meals. So they're, uh, they're, Another way. They're left alone to do their thing (laughs) if they want. If I got them cold enough, you know, that'll be the big mystery. Right. So that's awesome. And and then uh, the citrus tiger gal is due to drop her clutch in one week from today. Today is day 23. So we'll see. She she comes out periodically, sits on the lights because they're warm and then goes back. (laughs) Um yeah, she's been getting that pretzely, uncomfortable, restless sort of behavior going on. So nice. hopefully soon. And then the Kribo is getting restless. She's due to drop a clutch in like two weeks. Yeah, two weeks. So cool. So what do you think your total clutches will be this year? Um. Well, so I've got the one pop one clutch. If this small dark female produces, that'll be second. The zebra third. Uh, I've got a prelay from the Exanic Coastal, so that should be number four. Citrus Tiger, number five. And if the Bradley go, that'll be six. So, um, yeah, nice. potentially six clutches this season. So, got to fill up that new new hashling rack I shelled out for. Got to justify that purchase. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah so. Pay for it. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> I, I need a good year this year, man. I really do. I, I just keep trying to get ahead and then I get knocked back and it's usually like car issues or a vet bill or something. I need to get ahead. Mm, yeah. And, uh, and then the other thing that's on my mind a lot, I think about, and I don't know if you guys want to talk about this at all is, um, is, you know, prioritizing with space and, and I, I, you know, like at heart, I'm a collector and I want to have all the Morelia, but can I feasibly yeah. do that? And right. I also have these other species and like projects, you know, and, you know, I, I see my adult big rainbow girl shed last night. I'm like, you're freaking amazing. And I'm like, but I have like, what am I doing? You know, like I, I don't have a room. Like there's so much I want to keep, but I can't keep it all. Yeah. Yeah. I it's feel definitely that. the struggle. <laughs> yeah. 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 I've been. I've been thinking about that as well. Just kind of looking at everything I have here and knowing why I have it here, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like trying to make sure that I I have a reason for, for everything. Um, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. Well, yeah. I, and I envy your trajectory. You, you, mm. you started at a, a much more like mentally aware and wake point 
Hmm. And, and you started with a small quality number of animals and you've grown at a small, healthy rate where everything has room for its adult enclosures as is. And, and you didn't go crazy head over heels. Like a lot of people working at, uh, yeah, working at the vivarium actually helped. I think, right. Because it was kind of right during that phase where I wanted everything, but Mm -hmm. I could just work with everything at work and then leave. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't seem to go through a Noah's Noah's Ark syndrome as bad. Yeah. You know, I had my rosy boa. I had my, my ball Python. Um, You know, I I did try a couple things that I just Mm -hmm. decided weren't it, you know, that's, that's healthy. Everybody's got to do that. That's, that's part of everybody's like exploration bell curve of the reptile journey. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It could have been a lot worse. I I got, (laughs) I got through it. Not too bad. (laughs) Yeah. I guess the limiting factor is your time, money and space. And like, Mm -hmm. if you've got the space, you slowly accrue stuff and fill it up, but eventually, you know, you only have so much time, but then. I don't know. I I can always make time for stuff, but I can't make more space. Right. Right. Yeah. <sighs> well, you yeah, could. You especially... could just start digging down and make a little like subterranean secret bunker. Yeah. Let's let's dig my grave right next to it as well, and I'll let Rachel know when it's done so she can kill me and throw me in it. Part of my part of my struggle now is like trying to figure out, you know. You know it's it's trying to cut space. And then when you cut everything that you, you know, like cutting the Jags out was a big thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So that, that was easy. It just mm-hmm. didn't, didn't matter what it was. The only one I kept was the, um, the gamma Jag. Right. I just kept it because it, it's just a beautiful, beautiful snake. You know what yeah. I mean? So, but, um, it's, it's, uh, I don't have any intentions on breeding it or anything like that, but, um, you know, so that was easy and that cut out a, a big, chunk of animals but then i look at baby rack and i'm like i have all these like you know holdbacks and stuff and i'm like okay i guess i'm gonna have to to do this and then you know you know how much i love selling snakes so it's like should i just wholesale this stuff should i just you know i don't worked a few clutches didn't you yeah yeah, quite a few you know (laughs) and then i think about like um you know like Stuff like uh, I have a I have an adult so okay I have adult caramel zebra I have an adult caramel granite zebra I have an adult super caramel super zebra and like to me I'm like kind of like past the morph thing like but part of me is sort of like I know if I get rid of this am I gonna regret it am I gonna mm-hmm. like you know I'm just yeah. trying to like figure out like where my 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 thing is that because then I look at like my Poplin projects, you know, my Poplin carpet part projects, so many varieties. And it's like, do I just want to focus on this? Is it, am I at the point now where it's like, I'm not going to have all the morphs and stuff. And I just want all the subspecies and I'd much rather have, you know, an Australian couple monitors and a couple Australian gag, you know what I mean? And it's kind of like, I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know. I'm getting a blue tongue from, uh, Nice. From Justin. Nice. You're <laughs> going to love sweet. those, dude. You're going to freaking love those. Yeah. So I, I know. And it's just uh, so I'm, I think I think I, I think I'm at the point where it's like I'm going to start to get rid of cross morph stuff mm-hmm. and make sure it gets into the hands of people that are actually going to do something with it. You know, sure. Kind of focus on subspecies and you know like i'll still keep the hypos 
Mm-hmm. I'll still keep tigers because to me they're not. I, I know they're a morph, but they're they're kind of. It's different. a pure. It's a pure you coastal. I mean? It's not like a crazy wacky science project sort of feel to it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 And I don't know if I just don't see a push as much for carpet python morphs as much as it was, or I'm just out of the paying attention to it. You know what I mean? Like sometimes I wonder, like I was thinking the other day, I was like, ah, it seems like nobody cares about carpet python morphs anymore. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, maybe it's me that doesn't care about <laughs> right, right. morphs anymore. Maybe yeah. it's not everybody else. It's just me. I think so. there are still people that care. I think I think people go through different waves of caring about it sure. in their their Morelia trajectory within keeping reptiles. And I think, uh, I think the more attention that Morelia gets, the more people are coming into it, the, the influx of new people and emphasis on morphs or pure or crosses or whatever will happen. But I think, yeah, you're right. You're probably seeing things through your lens with some of your perspective bias on it. Right. Um, I struggle with this all the time. You know, I think about that a lot. What were you going to say, Lucas? It it seems like, you know, just going off of, of, what I've heard you say over the years, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe your mindset on that has kind of changed as a result of the Australia trips and like seeing mm. things in the mm-hmm. wild. And, you know, I guess that's kind of what I got a little bit from your animals at home episode was kind of seeing things in the wild made you appreciate those, those natural phenotypes a little bit more than the, than the morph stuff. Yeah. 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 And it's like, I came back and it's, you know, Nick, I got a, um, so I, um, well, there was a package that came uh, with my rough scale female from Nick, and um, uh, Owen had a Maclots in there. I, you know, we were laughing about that project just real quick, but like Owen's Maclots project is is the vein of his existence, you know. Dude, and I'm it's like, been just a train wreck since day one. I'm like, you're going at this again? And he's like, I won't give up. And I'm like, all right, man, more power to you, bro. Um, but, uh, so I I was telling Nick and I was like, you know, I really, I need a female Darwin because I have so many males and I'm like, I need a female. I have a female, I have what, I have one female and I have four males. So one of those males is going to get cut and then I needed a female so that, you know, uh, if I want to breed it or whatever. So I, I hit up Nick and he sent me this tiger, well, hold on. I'll probably you guys talk for a second. Yeah, oh, he's gonna, he gonna get go it. get it. We haven't shown off snakes here. He gonna go weeks. get it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's hard to show off snakes on this because we're also going to take the audio and put it into a file. And when you start that's getting true. into the visual, what yeah. happens is that's when the audio silence happens and you get these random like lapses Ooh. of nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and so for our listeners, that's that's no bueno. For our viewers, that's fantastic. And and so for me, I'm, I'm very cognizant of that. So very for our true. listeners, you should definitely try and catch the lives because then you can see these things, yes. even as much as there is value in going back and and looking and watching the video, you can see it. Yeah. But, you know, not to mention our beautiful faces. What's this we <laughs> stuff you're talking about? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? Ain't no beauty up in here. <laughs> Look at the stripe on this. Ooh. That's one of those the, Darwin, uh, the tiger line Darwins, right? Yeah. Damn. That's nuts. That's beautiful. Nick sent you that? So like, yeah. Wow. That's gorgeous. I love, <laughs> yeah, I just love her. It, it's almost like, yeah, I don't know. It's like Poplin. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. 
It's got that caramely yellow chocolate color. I love how, like, all of a sudden at the tail, it seems to change from the one cut. Like, it seems like the dark is here, but then you look at her tail and it's like it reverses. That's such a Darwin thing. I see it in, yeah. in other lines and other phenotypes, but the front is dark and the back is lighter. <laughs> yeah. When you hatch Darwins, you'll see that a lot of the time too. You'll see the two-tone in babies. I've yeah. seen clutches where like they're darker brown up front and they fade towards the back. It's it's weird. My male is like that. Look My that. female is like that. That's a beautiful snake. Yeah, yeah it's cool how the really stripe nice. is just on the dorsal and then on yeah. the sides you still kind of have the... Uh, the dots. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One yeah. day, if I if I'm ever successful with breeding my pair of Darwins, I have enough to justify continuing to have Darwins. I would like to eventually get some of his tiger albino stuff when I have more space. But for right so now, like, I can't yeah. even breed them, so it's like. <laughs> so this this girl, I'll, sh I'll real quick show you the boy that she would go with, and you'll see. What All I'm right. Deo Darwin's y'all. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, part of I think part of my failure is is young, unconfident animals. My female is just gonna be six this year, I think. Okay. Um, so I've tried her the last two years with no success. And the male, he started out young. He was very shy. He was a mouser. Didn't eat for a long time, so he's very behind. He's actually a year mm. older than her, and uh, only in the last year has his confidence shot back up, and he's taking rats and he's he's a good size and he's more than willing to breed and lock up, but they just haven't produced, even though we've been here for three years in this current snake room. So interesting. Wow. That that's nice. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Look at this that one. one seems a little bit more like that's nuts. Vibrant dude. to me. The light so, colors. Yeah. Like so that's like, popping. that's got that really nice high contrast with the background is nearly black in some spots, especially by the dorsal. <laughs> killer yeah, stripe reduced pattern That's but the beautiful. smudged out black head that darwin head with like minimal you can see, you can see what i'm talking about look it's dark and then yeah, it's, yeah. It's, see the difference it's mm -hmm. like two snakes in one yeah it's like the opposite of bradley where yeah, they're lighter up bradley. front and yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah you see that with the darwins for sure it's cool that's gorgeous that's a killer yeah. snake see that's the type of stuff that's like well, I guess I still need to have everything. <laughs> Ryan, Cox. <laughs> Ryan Cox said, somebody pair that with a stone washed. <laughs> Get out of here, Ryan. Get out of here with that nonsense. Uh, Speaking of nonsense hybrids, somebody was posting that they were at Nerd and like they had a fun day at Nerd and they posted a photo of uh, some albino red-tailed boa locking up with a green anaconda. I was like, uh, <laughs> why? Why? <laughs> why do you people do that? My face is just like, yeah, that's an abomination. <laughs> no, like, don't, no. no, no yeah, no. no, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a no-no. Brandon Valentine. somebody that was trying to do a boa-anaconda hybrid as well. And, oh. Oh. <laughs> somebody take a, take a fall? <laughs> the gravid female Kribo just fell oh, off shit. that damn lip in the... Another reason why I hate vision cages is that damn lip right above the glass. I heard that. Dunk. <laughs> she she's gravid. She needs to go sit in the moss and not do that. Stop damaging her eggs. <laughs> is he asking if the one that is Brandon asking if my Darwin is pure? Yeah, and it's from Nick. It's not from Psychotic Exotics, right? No, that came from. Um, actually, I got that one from Martin. Oh, is that one of those RSA line Darwins? 
Yeah. Yeah. Republic of South Africa. Yeah. Those ones are cool. Darwin's. Darwin's are neat. Yeah. I, I need to get, I need to justify future Darwin's. If I can breed them, then I'll be like, okay, this, this project stays. But, you know, as, as space gets to a premium, every project that isn't panning out is like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Darwin's have never been one of the subspecies that really called to me for some reason. I've always been like, oh, those are cool. But the two that you just showed yeah. are like, holy shit, like that was another <laughs> level. So, <laughs> well, well, you know, and, we and when were, you see a we big were, one, too, it's like, mm. damn. oh, yeah, we were talking adult. to uh, Pete, Pete, Pete Coon over the, you know, over the weekend. Right. right. Python Pete, as people would know. And, um, you know, after talking to him, that the conversation was good, but I don't, it's more of a herp history type of thing more than anything. Just uh, not really talking about how he cared for anything or anything mm -hmm. like that. But like, for one, he talked about some of the jungles and where he sort of got his jungles from. And at the time he was talking about how they would just go and buy whatever carpet they had, right? Whatever, whatever one was there, they would buy and then try to, you know, taken in a direction, um, like living art or whatever. Right. And it really sort of gave me a, um, a snapshot of like where jungle carpets were and then like kind of where they went. So it makes me feel good about working with some of the other species or subspecies or who knows what they're going to be when they're, <laughs> once the book right, comes out, right. but like, <clears throat> it makes me feel that like if enough, um, focus was put on those other subspecies that you would probably have amazing like the darwins would probably as be as amazing as jungle carpets are with their yellow and black you know what i'm saying so mm -hmm. like but nobody's really put forth a focus on that and i think that's kind of where i'm at you know mm -hmm. i don't know if that's like keith's influence on me when like like talking to him for hours and hours about like how he would approach his short tail projects and stuff where it was not really a morph, but it was more of like a selective breeding thing. And he would sort of look at, you know, these little traits and try to work them out. And then you see where it went and you look at like uh, Matt's, uh, you know, extreme marbles and shit. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, that was his vision where he saw some specs on a snake. And then, you know, Matt took it to the next, to the next level. And, you know, I, I just think if people focused more on like, you know, inlands and Darwins and IJs and stuff like that, you'd probably see, you know, I think IJs are starting to show it. You're starting to see mm -hmm. that, you know, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. I think Darwins and inlands are still Man. lagging behind. Yeah. I'm loving the freaking inlands. I want more inlands. <laughs> They're so cool. Yeah, I told you. Yeah. Right. Yeah, when 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 they shed that first time, I was like, "Holy crap!" Because you know yes. they're kind of right at that age where every shed is going to be a different snake for a while, you know. Yes. Um, yeah. and, and the blue really came out in that last one, and it was, it was wild. Yeah, I, I, I finally yeah, I feel like least. I got a picture where you can see it a little bit. Um, the blue sheen, but it's so freaking hard to capture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ian's burking his clutch. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good, Good Ian. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. All these now verb. <laughs> <laughs> Burking, wheelering. We're creating the Morelia uh, dictionary here. Yes. <laughs> I need, yeah, uh, there's a lot of, there's still those subspecies and species out there that I need where it's like, that's the, 
Like I still want to experience keeping those, but I don't want to get rid of anything that I have at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like this, this trade off. So right now I'm kind of like in this pause moment until hopefully I get more space and then I'll be like, all right, I don't have the space problem. Now I can just look forward to getting the yeah. last few things, but to, you know, I'm happy with what I have and, I don't know. I, I constantly am thinking about like my legacy and what I want to do mm. with the animals I have, what I want to leave behind, what I want to be known for. If anything, do I want to even be known? Like what, you know, what do you, what legacy are we leaving behind um, with the animals we work with? You know, like uh, Keith's work with the, the bloods was foundational and short tails was foundational for a lot of that, you know, niche within the hobby and, and now he's doing that with Bolins and, and other species and he's moving on. And, you know, when is it a good time to move on? When is it right for somebody to move on? Do you move on? You know, like, yeah, I mean, life gets in the way, so you got to respond of course, but mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 I don't know, man. I, I, you know, I think, I think it's about, you know, I, we, we talk about it all the time on whatever podcast you're listening to us on, but it's sort of that idea is like do what you love and don't worry about what other people think and all that kind of stuff. And I mm -hmm. think like taking a little bit of my own advice, it's kind of like I want to be able to go into like to if I think about it, right? Every time that I am wowed by somebody's snake room, it's somehow these zoo quality setups and a chair or a couch <laughs> where the person goes and chills out yeah. and and just enjoys the animals for what they are, sees these mm -hmm. crazy behaviors and all that stuff. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's what I want to do. And it's like, I, I think like for me, I was sort of pushed, not pushed, but like the, the, the hobby was just focused on breeding and, and, you know, that's why I'm like jealous of you, Lucas, because you're, you're like at the infancy where you can sort of pick your direction and, you know, right. you're sort of getting the best of both worlds to where you're getting. If you wanted to focus on, you know, behaviors and natural setups and all this kind of stuff, you're good. But then you also have the influence from like, you know, from Nick and mm -hmm. Riley and I and Owen and whatever, and, and like being right. a breeder and like what that entails, you know? So it's, I'm trying to do I both. I like, I like yeah. the hybrid model. Like, yeah. Yeah. Quality yeah. breedings, but with this kind of setup, you know, like, yeah, why not? <laughs> it'll, yeah. it'll mean the that I don't have 300 snakes. Right. But, but that's okay. But what, the one <laughs> thing you will have to do is you'll have to, you know, come to terms internally with yourself on your style of keeping because mm -hmm. inevitably we live in a very public world. And so yeah. you have you have to mentally come securely clean with who you are and what you're keeping and why. Exactly. So you can be ready to take whatever sort of, you know, either biased or well thought out or not thought out sort of criticism or critique. And it, cause it's going to happen one way or the other. And oh, just, and you just got to understand that like, you know, what you want with your animals is what's going to dictate how and why. And if you, if you're always thinking about how to do better within that, then you're always on the right path. Yeah. And, and like you say, you know, there's, as we know very well, there's always going to be people, especially in this hobby mm -hmm. that, think what you're doing is garbage and want mm -hmm. to let you know <laughs> sure. just because for whatever reason that's what people do so you know yeah. that the the whole if if you have haters you're doing it right kind of thing you know eh, yeah might apply yeah. to an extent yeah to a degree a small degree with you got to be able to you know manage it 
to a small amount, but there is a fine line where you shouldn't have to put up with crap. And so then it just depends on, you know, how much you want to tolerate based on what you're involved in. Like with YouTube, it's mostly supportive and and positive comments when I put out these informative videos, but every once in a while I get somebody who probably has seen a carpet Python somewhere at a zoo in this big lush enclosure and is like, why are you keeping them like that? You should keep them with perches and this and that. How dare Mm -hmm. you? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, they don't, they're not trying to bash and they're not trying to be negative, but they don't understand what they're saying and why they're saying and the, and the, the, the perspective of what they're seeing and how it's not the same. And, and so it, you know, putting yourself out there is just kind of inevitably you catch a bunch of shit and flack from people who sure. mean well or, or don't. And right. You, you, know, you do just, have to know that that very well may come and, and yeah. And you got to ask how involved you want to be with it, you know, and, and, you know, you might try it out and find out it's not for you. And like everything's ever changing. Right. So. Yeah, sure. And I mean, of course, right. Like Eric, you've been putting yourself out there for Mm -hmm. about a decade and I'm sure you've had a lot of people come and (laughs) poop on your Cheerios. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. You know, it's just kind of part of it, you know, and yeah. it's something that, you know, yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's kind of like, you just have to accept that not everybody is going to like you. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's going to see the way that you see. And you have to sort of like be able to tune that out and focus on the people that are getting something from you, you know, mm-hmm. like and and just kind of like keep that in your forefront because it can be it it can be it can be uh extremely frustrating it can Mm -hmm. be it it can be depressing it can be you know i mean it's it's like you feel like you're doing a service for people and like you know um yeah like everybody that used to complain about the sound you know Mm -hmm. and like (laughs) it's like it's like what the fuck do you think? I don't know that the sound sounds like shit. Like, you know, you know what I mean? It's just like, do you think I don't know that? Do you think you have to tell me that? Like, right. Again? Yeah. You know, yeah. like I already know that, bro. <laughs> like, I, You're yeah, getting this three is podcast complaints. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't know. When I listen to reptile radio, I never once in my whole time thought, you know, it just it sort of came along with it. Like, okay, yeah. this is what it is. And yeah. I'm sure over time, the more and more that people do this, the better quality it's going to get. What amazes me is that today, there's still people that have shitty sounding podcasts. And <laughs> and some of those people were the same people that criticized MBR back in the day. And I'm like, whoo, not looking in the mirror there, bro. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, man. but yeah. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's interesting how the reptile hobby has become more of a, a social media stance sort of thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's all about posturing yourself. Mm-hmm. I, I, I the more I go on about it, the more I I envy folks like Gary Valle who have this notoriety <laughs> about them, but you'll never see them online. Yeah, love that. Love uh, you know, that. It's- it's kind of good and bad, right? You know, like you have new people coming into the hobby constantly. Right. But you have people that have been into the hobby for a while and probably have the knowledge or experience and they're sort of like turned off by it because, mm-hmm. you know, they just, they're just like, this is not what I wanted to get into this for. I wanted right. to get into this right. because I, I have a passion for these animals and it's sort of like, 
you know, it pushes them away. So like mm-hmm. the new keepers that are coming in really don't have the exposure to, to some of those people, you know, right. Uh, that's, yeah. that's like yeah. the main reason why I keep my YouTube channel going is because as much as the nonsense and stuff I hate is prevalent and very much there, um, there are so many people that are finding out about carpets or the, this section section of the hobby through YouTube. And yeah. if there isn't anybody else out there putting out good, you know, somewhat relevant information mm-hmm. on carpets for the, the masses, even if I do, you know, sort of dumb it down a little bit or cookie cutter it or focus on something in particular, there really isn't anybody else out there, you know, being a voice for, these snakes and that's kind of the big thing keeping me going on it and that's kind of the big thing why i love doing all this work for the network because it is such a a morelia focus with a huge platform that it we get we get constant feedback about how beneficial it is for people and how much people are learning about the the species and the genus and just all this stuff and so like that in itself is is tons of value um And I just think, you know, with the constant influx of new people, that's where, like, you guys always talk about those breeding episodes, even though you've done one every single year, it's still valuable because there are new people just coming in that might not have found the older episodes and new information changing and all this stuff. And so, uh, you know, you just kind of have to put blinders on with the, with, you know, some of the bullshit and just keep going for the greater good because there are people, I I almost feel like it's like a duty of mine to the people who came before me who have written the yeah. books about Moralia, the ones who don't want to be on social media because it's so toxic, the people who've done the the test breeding and found all this foundational information, but they don't want to be on the social media side for obvious reasons. So I almost feel like in in the it the whole spirit of preserving that information and honoring their legacy and the work they've done and preserving that one of the ways to preserve and continue that information and keep it existing is to pass it on through the more common yeah. consumed forms of media, which right now happens to be YouTube, Instagram, all this other stuff. And so right. it's just, you got to take all that other stuff on the chin and, mm-hmm. you, you know, just remember that there are people, even if they don't necessarily comment on every video or post or whatever, there are people that do appreciate it and do like it. And you get, you know, a lot of, you know, information out of it even if they don't necessarily say it you just kind of have to trust your gut and just go with it and yeah just do it because like you know getting back to legacy i think anybody in their right mind would argue that eric you and owen have created a pretty serious legacy with npr and uh you know you talk about it every time everybody thought it was too narrow of a focus and it wouldn't do anything and here you are 10 years later with a fucking media platform you know like a whole network so um It's just one of those things where like if it started for the right reason and there's good mm-hmm. intention behind it and you you have the support and the mental wherewithal to, to push through it, it, something good will come of it in the end, even if it's just for a handful of people. And, you know, that's worth it. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like you're sort of, um, you know, there's so many people that I was exposed to um, <clears throat> that I felt that they didn't get the spotlight that they deserved. Mm-hmm. And that's sort mm-hmm. of like where NPR came from. You know, it's sort of like this idea that like, man, these not only are they knowledgeable about the species that they keep, you know, um, they're also awesome people, you know, and, and 
I uh, people that I never would have known in my regular day to day life. I never would have been exposed to that. And like, I don't know. For me, I like being around different things, ex- experiencing different things, and mm-hmm. and it gives. I think it gives you a better perspective of life. You know, like mm-hmm. if you're you're more you become more open minded to things, and you you look at the world a different way. And yeah, um, you know, so. I don't know. That was kind of the the whole thing, and you know, you're right. People, you know, the people that told me that, oh, that's too narrow of a niche, man. <laughs> well, they're gone. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. they're uh, they 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 quit after you know seven episodes and such, and mm-hmm. um, you know, the the focus for me, I think I think pe- us with with platforms like this sort of have the responsibility to sort of try to accentuate the positive and i know this is maybe you know we talked earlier about our inner hippies coming out but maybe yeah. that's my inner hippie maybe i'm more hippie than i than i thought i am but like yeah. i think of um i just think that if you focus on the positive people will just gravitate towards that rather than sure. focusing on the negative and think yeah. i i think of it this yeah. way right if i go into work right i'm the boss right i walk into the into my into work and i and i go around and if i'm positive with people hey how's it going today how you doing everything cool hey you know what happened with this then they respond back they they immediately respond back in a positive way mm-hmm. and i've had more people tell me like you know, man, I was in a really shitty mood today, but the fact that you came in, you said hello to me, you remembered that my dog was going to the vet the other day and like you asked me how it was doing and man, that meant the world to me. And like, you know what I mean? I, I don't yeah. know. It just, yeah. it, you see that, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think like, I think it's easier and NPR was guilty of this. It's easier to just bitch about something for two hours. Well, right? it's, human, it's human nature. Yeah, to focus 100%. on the negative. Yeah, right. Because people are going to want to hear about it, and then mm-hmm. like if you sort of want to focus on the positive about the animals, that that takes research and time, mm-hmm. and, and you know, and actual passion. You can't really fake correct. That. You can't fake you that can't for fake very it. long. Yeah, <laughs> right. you can't. Right. The love of reptiles shows in your and that's why it's contagious. Yeah, you can't fake it. Yeah, because when you yeah. find that. You're, it's refreshing, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and it's exhilarating for people that feel the same way. Like, I completely agree. I feel like everything that that we can put out there that is positive is working towards kind of shifting the narrative about what the reptile hobby is, mm-hmm. what it is mm-hmm. at a time where it's right. so critical to shift that narrative, yes. you know, like well, yeah. think, think about what we're doing right now. We're just a little slice, just a little piece of the bigger picture, right? We're, mm-hmm. we're using technology, we're communicating, we're sharing information. We formed communities, we've created networks. The, the narrative has definitely shifted in the last 20, 30 years. You know, the reptile keepers used to be seen as tattooed, uh, bar brawling biker guys, you know, and two out of three. Just, no, I was just kidding. Yeah, it's just <laughs> ruffians, you know, and now like n- there's still those people in it, but there's such a much more like educated, classy aspect and informed portion of it now where it pays to be intelligent about this. And so it comes across as, a good hobby that gets you thinking and, and I don't know, it's just, it's less uh, taboo. And with that means it's also more seen by the public mainstream, which is 
where you're saying, you know, we have this platform, we, we sort of have a responsibility to be a good positive voice. You know, it's good to be informed with all the, the nonsense and drama and news. So you know what to avoid and other people's mistakes you can learn from and this and that, but it's also good to just not, not even go down that road, like be aware of it. But if you've got a platform, you know, do nothing yeah. but good stuff with it. Don't focus on that stuff. Cause if the more time you spend talking about negative things, the more time you name drop somebody who's doing something negative, you perpetuate that negativity and those actions, no matter what they are. And so if you just don't acknowledge verbally that they exist in that moment, you're creating more of a time capsule for positive stuff to be, you know, revisited right. again in the future. Mm -hmm. Right. Like yeah. it's good to yeah. not repeat history. Like nobody wants to do X, Y, and Z that these people did. Right. So it's good to know yeah. that, but at right. the same time, right. like pushing forward is all about pushing forward. Sure. And you can always right. point that kind of stuff out without needing to throw the actual people under the mm -hmm. bus. Right. It's mm -hmm. more about the lesson than, than yeah. the, the perpetrator. If yeah. You know. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. So yeah. because yeah. The, the thing is we've, we've all made mistakes doing this. Mm -hmm. You know, we've all, you know, Unfortunately for me and Owen, some of those mistakes were on air, you know, and it's like you can't go back and take them back. It's not that that we didn't have, you know, like I think it just and it's nothing that's even like that serious. But just think about like when me and Owen started the way we fed, mm -hmm. you know, the way we approached mm -hmm. feeding Mm -hmm. Like, and like, it just over time, after you start to talk to the people and like, you know, you start to say, okay, and you, you're putting together in a way I I'm, I'm very, you know, lucky. I mean, yeah, the work is, is a lot of work, but I'm lucky to be able to have talked to so many different people mm -hmm. that keep, you know, what I love carpet pythons and be able to formulate my own mix of all those different ideas and thoughts and you know yeah uh, which it just became what i do you know yeah. all right but see i love what you're explaining about like the early days of npr like i love that that's there because what you ended up doing is capturing your evolution as a keeper in audio recordings mm -hmm. for a decade <laughs> yeah. and it's like it's it's it can be a blueprint in a way for right. like how, yeah. you know, like somebody as experienced and knowledgeable as you, you know, like where did you start and where did you end up and how did that happen? Like it's all there if you, if mm -hmm. you listen to the archive. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's, yeah. it's pretty cool to see that, how you yeah. shifted and improved and changed. And yeah, I, you know, there's, there's yeah. something beautiful about that being out there in the world and you know you didn't try to bury the old days or whatever you know like right. i've always been know. perfect like no nobody no. is so like no. that's great yeah. you know that's yeah. excellent that's yeah. that that's a great example of what i meant earlier when i've said like the legacy we leave behind like mm. if you were to put yeah. it all in perspective is it more positive does it contribute something is it going to help the people who came behind you you know like that's i think that's if people keep that in in their focus and what they're doing and what they love regardless of whether whether it's reptiles or working on cars or playing music or sure selling yeah. land or farming whatever it is you know do right. your thing like just you know own it and love it and and i think you know if you leave a legacy of something that's trying to make a change for the positive it will you know sort of have a ripple effect in that way and so i think about you know if the reptile hobby still exists in 20 30 years 
what the kids that are just being born now or haven't been born yet are going to experience. And will they have access to the archives of information? If it's in a book, probably digital stuff, who knows what's going to happen, but right. like yeah. at least you've put it out there and captured it and, and people will always be able to, you know, you, you're going to be a name, you know what I mean? Like you're going to be a, a Pete call, a Eugene Bassetta, whatever to the next generation, if you put in the work and, and leave something sure. behind for them to remember. And so yeah. NPR is exactly one of those things. Mm-hmm. Which is crazy to me. <laughs> I know. It's, and, and, and it's crazy because you're in that moment, but you're also yeah. having that like outside, like retrospective sort of perspective on it. And it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and oh, then, and so uh, many cool things to come too, to add on yeah. top of that. I can't wait for our Herp documentaries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, man. That's yeah. going to yeah. be pretty freaking next level. our first trip out to <laughs> out to the east coast lucas and i uh invade the the philly the philly herp scene and go yeah. herping and see the collection and film some stuff and i think yeah. riley's most excited about the cheese steaks <laughs> yes <laughs> yes we'll do an entire video just visiting different cheese steakeries yes <laughs> and, oh and man we'll, oh, and we'll, riley we'll rank them. steaks yeah yeah we'll go here's what we'll do we'll go buy like five of them and then we'll sit down and we'll just do a panel oh my god <laughs> and then and then, and then we'll do owen for three days until you can move again <laughs> yeah. yeah and then we'll do owen's uh owen's bigfoot spice rubs We'll do those finally yeah yeah, yeah. we'll have a, like a, yeah. a barbecue evening we'll film some stuff we'll do yeah, it live maybe good. bigfoot yeah. spice rubs hell yeah yeah dude. yeah we'll do it live <laughs> or something on the channel we'll just you know have some fun but yeah i want to i want i want philly cheese steaks to no end i want bigfoot sauce taste testing i we'll we'll do some collection filming we'll talk about some projects we'll go out herping oh hell, it's gonna be yeah, man. Yeah. glorious yeah hell, i yeah. can't freaking wait can't and then wait. you guys come here and we can do the uh the Hell west coast yeah. version yeah yeah uh before we move on big shout out to uh jeremy over at omerta genetics he got his first clutch of i think it's his first clutch of uh a carpet python eggs he got Woo-hoo. uh some albino darwin in action nice. and he got 13 eggs 10 of which are are good and three infertiles and uh he posted photos of that this morning just he announced it in here and and That's uh awesome. you're you're welcome man Glad, uh, glad you have success up to this point, and I wish you success in the incubation window and hatching and all that good stuff. And you're gonna get your feet wet with difficult baby feeders real quick. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, congrats! That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, I have to uh, also put up real quick, Craig, my um, I guess my UK uh, pop one brother. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> he, uh, I thought this was interesting. See, this is the kind of stuff that I love, right? Mm-hmm. He placed a small rat outside uh, his F1 female's uh, maternal incubation box last mm-hmm. night. She came out within minutes, dragged it back into her box, um, and she was able to maneuver it so it didn't touch the eggs. Wow. Like, you know, I mean. That's awesome. Uh, that's yeah. just, have, I, I don't do know. Do you feed <laughs> just, when you have moms on eggs, Eric? Have you ever offered food during that? Or Riley, either way? No. I haven't tried, but I've heard plenty of folks doing it. I remember uh, a few years ago, Ryan Dumas did it with the Jag he was doing MI with, and she took a, a small rat while around the clutch, grabbed it, ate it, wrapped it, and went back. That's so cool. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I would imagine 
I, so I don't know. What do you guys think of the wild? Do you think that if, if, if prey comes by that they, they would take advantage of that? Or do you think that they would sort of, uh, you know, be focused on making sure that their, uh, their eggs hatch? I think they'd be too focused to eat personally. Hmm. I think the, I think the presence of even a small rodent would be stressful for a female on a clutch of eggs. I think when they're in that state, you know, other than that initial trance phase when they're first laying, I think they're hyper vigilant, and I, yeah. I feel like they would just be in full defense mode all the time. Right. But yeah. what do I know? I'm not a wild carpet. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <Me> neither. <laughs> Shit, damn it. <laughs> it's all the speculative bullshit. No, it's a great um, question though. I, I do yeah. wonder. I wonder too if it's different, you know, species that that brood underground versus in tree hollows, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I could sure. see like maybe more of a prey abundance in, in the underground areas. Sure. But maybe that's sure. not real. I don't know. It's <laughs> a good question. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're yeah, laying I, eggs around end of winter, early springtime, so there might be prey mm-hmm. abundance. So yeah. one of the main reasons why I never did it is um, I think I think I was talking to Jason Balin one time about maternal incubation and um, I think it was at a carpet fest or something. So it was like a pretty in-depth talk that we were having. And, you know, I was asking him like what, again, like being nervous about what do you do? How do you do it? You know, and he just sort of said the same thing that we always kind of say. It's just like, nah, just let her do her thing, man. And, you know, it, it, to somebody that doesn't know what they're about to go into, that just seems like not a good enough answer. You know, right. I, I, at least to me at the time, it felt like, no, man, you're leaving out pertinent information that I need and you're not telling me. And I don't know why you're not telling me. And he's shaking me going, Eric, the mom will take care of everything. Don't worry about it, you know, but um, he used to say to me that he doesn't feed because I think he I think it was him or somebody he knew somebody from the MP days had had done that, did the maternal incubation, fed the female while she was on the eggs, but then ended up shitting all over the eggs, Uh, which then ruined the eggs. So or, you know, interesting. So probably something that that the snake should have known not to do, but. You know, right. well, there's, they're, there's, they're not yeah. all perfect. <laughs> yeah, there's good moms and there's bad moms. Yeah. Yeah. My exanic yeah. coastal last year, she scattered her eggs all over the fucking cage. Like she had tons of room. Didn't even try to be eye of them. I was like, oh, all right. Well, so thanks. what do you uh, think? What do you think? So like this would be a question, right? That I would ask, right? Is it's like these questions that come up with breeding uh, carpet pythons, right? And, you know, you'll hear from time to time people say like, oh, she scattered the eggs all over, you know, with green trees. It's like she laid them in the, the water bowl, water bowl. Um, and like, uh, <laughs> you <Wow>. know, uh, <laughs> or she, you know, it's it, like she just dumped them off the perch or whatever. Like she was hanging and she just, yeah. you know, blop, 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 blop. Yeah. Um, but like, I don't know. Do you think that there's there's a reason why like something isn't right do you think there is in tune like i think of monitors right now that i'm in seeing this world in this perspective whereas like if their nest box isn't exactly right or they're not gonna lay eggs or they're gonna have issues or i don't know what what do you think you think there's something to that or you think it's just random mom doesn't know how to be a mom it certainly could be a product of (laughs) coming up in an unstimulating captive environment where they just right. haven't had to develop cognitively very much, you know, like yeah. maybe mm-hmm. the, uh, the inherent 
challenges of the wild actually make smarter snakes mm-hmm. uh, or less picky snakes. They just they mm-hmm. take what they get and they're just like screw it. Right. Yeah. You know, I, you think what's that thing with with people babies? Like if you don't talk to them, they get messed up or something. <laughs> Like those, <laughs> the, <laughs> those, uh, those pathways form. Yeah, yeah via environmental mm-hmm. uh, uh, yeah. stimuli, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that while we're talking about a completely different brain, it right. probably is kind of the same idea where you have to be stimulated, stressed, um, you know, to experience actually stuff, learn it, become more intelligent but i don't know it also could totally be just the whole thing of like not everybody in nature is meant to survive and some creatures that eat eggs have to live too (laughs) (laughs) right i don't know i don't know what do you think riley i think you're dead on i think it's probably a result of captivity i i would be shocked to see a an animal that's in the wild devote so many resources time and energy to making eggs and just go whatever (laughs) (laughs) good luck right like even especially with uh something that incubates the eggs right right Right. (laughs) yeah Yeah. so i i don't know i think it's probably a product of of captivity and the 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 environment provided for the individual animal for sure yeah this is also a good point that ryan brought up a bad mom wouldn't pass genes on those eggs would most likely die so true the artificial selection of mm-hmm. captivity yeah. mm-hmm. definitely leads to animals that would have died otherwise. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. And you know, the, well, the stereotyping and stereotypies, um, you know, of being trapped in a cage and doing the same thing to self-stimulate, you know, they might be so caught up in that that they just don't think to incubate their eggs. I don't know. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's 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 uh yeah, I, I I don't know. I, I it's like uh, Ian was saying something about um, basically <laughs> we have this idea that we have to save every baby, and like I never subscribe to that idea. Like I don't I don't I don't know. But people have a hard time with saying I'm calling this or I'm calling that. You know, it's yeah. That's that's a hard pill for a lot of people to swallow. You know. Yeah, but I love Jack Oliver's comment. <laughs> Talk to your children so they don't get real stupid like. It's <laughs> <laughs> exactly the accent I read it in my head too. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. 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 No, but totally. You know, I I am uh of the mind where if if something pops out from my clutches that's clearly just kind of like the one that wasn't supposed to make it, mm-hmm. I'll toss yeah. it to a blackhead. That's fine. I'll yeah, toss it right. to a falsy. I'm cool with that. Right. Recycle yeah, sure. that nutrients yeah. and keep my, my stock uh, more fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That benefits everybody. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a win-win, except mm-hmm. for that poor little snake, but it is what it is. But it's nature. He, lost. he or she lost the genetic yeah. lottery. And that's part of it, and it's necessary. <laughs> yeah. 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 Maybe I'm cold-hearted so, for that, but I think it's just eh. more listening to ecology. I think... I think- <laughs> I think our view of nature is probably more realistic. You know what I mean? Like if you watch like some of, if you watch nature documentaries or you watch like at least old school nature documentaries and such, you'll you'll see like my wife, she can't watch it. She can't swallow it. You know, I'll be watching it. I'm all into it. And you'll, you know, you see this, you know, like, 
calf that was born and a lion just comes up and just like rips it as it's born and it i mean i don't enjoy that but i mean it is what it is it and, is what you know, it is that's just the reality of uh yeah. of stuff you know like uh of nature yeah 100 mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i saw a photograph of a zebra running through a river like trying to escape this attack and it's like hind legs were completely ripped off so it was just like intestines and shit flying out oh. this animal's got its two legs and it's just running scared shitless and there's a croc behind it like whoa well, we'll get you soon it's and that's just yeah. how it how it goes you know and like all these parents like they they don't want their kids to see the snake feeding it's like what are, you're creating a big sissy like let them yeah. experience what the world is they need to know what the stuff is it's formulative for their experiences and same thing probably goes for our for our snakes and it's it's funny how like i see people's perspective changes depending on which animal is <laughs> yeah nature is metal <laughs> <laughs> as you're hearing like you know i don't know th- riley quick give me a, a crazy metal band <laughs> slayer you're hearing that Lamb well, of yeah, I guess you could pick Slayer, you know, cannibal like, corpse. Hearing that cannibal corpse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's there we go. that's what I'm looking for. That kind there of that kind of metal. But um, you know, it's funny how your perspective changes depending on which animal is winning and which animal is losing, right? Mm-hmm. So typically, if I'm watching something and um the the lion is eating that calf right it's like oh i feel so bad for the calf that mean lion why is it doing that and i'm like (laughs) don't you understand but the other day we saw the opposite where a lion was trying to eat a cape buffalo and it was pretty much getting gored as it was like jumping onto the back of this thing because it was jumping at it from the front and the the, it just kept scoring them in the in the stomach and the, the lion is just like, and I felt bad for it. And now she's like, oh, my God, that poor lion. Oh, my God. I was like, wait, the other day you were saying that it's the poor gazelle. And now you're like, fuck the gazelle. The lion is right It's like, oh, my gosh. It's very situational. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. 100%. You know, you speak of that. This is a good transition. We gotta, we gotta revisit the Walma Blackhead thing that we yeah. kind of talked about with the heat Absolutely. pits. Because, yes. uh, but what what led to 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 uh, some interesting insight? And I'm gonna let mm. uh, Mr. Aspidites below run with that. <laughs> but before we say that, I was talking to Scott, right? And uh, he called me up and he told me how we were wrong. And you know, uh, <laughs> and I was like, "Yes, sorry, Scott. That, thank you for the info. I didn't even think about that." You know? um, which is, I'm, I'm so glad that. Every, at least we have a Scott, you know, <laughs> Set yeah, straight, for you know? Sure. <laughs> gotta have um, Scott. Yes. Um, but, uh, he, uh, he was telling me about how his snakes that he keeps outside, how much tougher their skin is mm. and how much it, it's almost like the, it's, it, they feel different than a snake that you would keep in captivity. Right. Mm. And, I started to think, like, and that, this is what, where my mind starts to go and think like, you know, if they have exposure to different things, do they become, are we making them more snake-like or less snake-like in our keeping? You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. we're trying to make them something that they're not evolved to be, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. And he was saying about how, and I thought about like, um, well, this happens in Papuan, uh, Popwin pythons, the real deal. I don't know if you heard about this, but it's happened to Rob. I think a couple other people, Kevin, I think talked about it as well, but their skin sort of just like comes off. They just like, their skin is so soft. It just kind of like, it kind of like, even if you touch it, it just kind of comes away. It's, it's kind of crazy. 
Um, I've seen it in Burmese pythons too. So, so is not being exposed to whether that's UV or whatever, whatever it would be, is it, is what is, what is causing that? And maybe the cause is, you know, again, uh, having exposure to the sun, maybe it makes you, you know, so, somehow it makes their scales and skin tougher. Uh, I thought that was really interesting. Um, that is so, interesting. But, I have not heard yeah. of the peeling skin, and I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you ever heard that, Riley, with the pop ones? Mm-mm, that's gross. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. It's it's pretty it's – pretty, from what I understand, it's pretty common with – especially young ones. Uh, it's pretty common with them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Rob has experienced it quite a few times to the point when we did that episode with Kevin is it's Kevin, right? Yeah. Kevin. Um, he sort of made a point to tell me to ask him that question. So if you go back and you listen to that show with him on Poplin pythons, um, he sort of hits on it, but, uh, interesting, interesting stuff. Hmm. So you can run with the aspidites. <laughs> yeah. Oh! So, uh, last week we were talking about aspidites and we were talking about the fact that you know, a lot of people say they lack any external heat sensing pits, right? That's kind of the conventional knowledge. When people are talking about how different they are, they're like, they don't have the pits and they're the only ones and it's for digging and eating cold-blooded prey. Mm-hmm. So then Scott Scott messages us and, you know, it's interesting because I had just picked up recently his, his book um, and yeah. on the Woma section, he mentions that they do in fact have a heat sensing organ under the way I read it, I thought he was saying under a scale, but right. I guess what he meant is actually under, but not behind a scale, but just under. So what he let us know is that uh, the Womas and the Blackheads actually do, in fact, have um, a heat seeking pit under their rostral scales. Um, and, you know, that's that's very interesting because. First, I've heard people talk about it, and when mm. I'm you know, diving into the literature, um, the way I have been over the past few weeks, there's absolutely no mention of that in any of the academic papers and whatnot. So all I can find in terms of, uh, academic, you know, papers on that is some reference that Derek Roddy posted on a forum, like a long time ago to somebody verbally explaining the yes. presence of that pit at a herpetological symposium or something like that. Um, yeah. So it sounds like it was some German researchers from what I can gather that proved that that organ had the, the right anatomy to be a heat seeking thingy. Um, do you think w- would Scott mind if we show that or, I don't know. They're yeah, his pictures. Uh, yeah, I think I you're did... cool to show it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I sent it in the chat. Yeah. Um, if you yeah. want to pull that up, oh. Eric. But uh, yeah, it's just kind of you know when people that keep womas and blackheads, you probably have noticed. I definitely have that. They kind of do this thing, and they just like look up at you with their neck. You know, they don't do a full periscope, but they kind of just angle upwards. And with that in mind, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense that they're kind of pointing this little this little mini pit <laughs> on their upper jaw at you. And so, yeah, super interesting, super, super interesting. Um, and I did talk to Nick uh, recently and he also said, heck yeah, they do. Um, so there's, there's two folks legitimizing that claim. So yeah. And that's, then that's a little zoom. 
And it is interesting that they would have that um, because when we see the the video of Aspidites digging, they actually do scoop with their bottom jaw, right? Yeah. So I feel like it would still get shit in it, but I guess not, you know? <laughs> so, you <laughs> yeah. know what I'm saying? Like they kind yeah. of scoop, yeah. like if this is their head, they do like a this thing. Um, so yeah, yeah. it almost seems like it being underneath is still in the path of fire, but I guess <laughs> yeah. evolution yeah. would prove me wrong. Who am I to say? <laughs> right. So, yeah. So I guess I it just, is, what, go ahead. What were you going to say? Good night. No, no, I was no. just going to say, I guess all of that to stay to say long story short, they do have heat pits. <laughs> I had heard Derek talk about it and I think he might have talked about it on the very first uh, NPR that he was on but he sort of uh, the way I understood it back then was that it was sort of like it's sort of like the hind limbs on mm. um you know the spurs yes you know what I mean so it's kind of like and I probably heard it wrong he probably said it right and I heard it wrong but that's why I kind of thought that they don't have heat pits yeah, but. So they're they're like still on their way out of evolving those out. I guess that would be up for debate, right? Yeah. yeah wow. I don't know. Well, that's, that's kind of how I, I mean, from the evolutionary bio standpoint, there's there's a few reasons to have them, right? If you're yeah. a python. One would be right. prey acquisition, mm -hmm. which right. in the case of the Wilmas and Blackheads, we would assume it's slightly less important for them because they eat cold-blooded prey. But at the same time, that cold-blooded prey still will do a pretty good job of thermoregulating and will still have a heat signature because mm -hmm. we're not talking mm -hmm. about 50-degree lizards, you know. Right. They might still be like 84 degrees or something, you know. That'll show up. Um, right. And then the other that I can think of is, is using that as a way to gauge your environmental conditions, right? You know, if you're yeah. looking for say a nest site, you might want to know sure. if it's warm or cold. Um, right. So, you know, there's, there's a few different angles and in both cases, it still seems advantageous for Wilma's and blackheads to be able to, to do that. Um, I guess it just be, probably was an issue for them in terms of the digging and, and getting all plugged up. Um, right. But I don't know. <laughs> has, has there been any, um, have have people found you know like Woma sort of do the digging part, but have blackheads been seen doing yeah. that equally? The There's same? a 2019 okay. paper that that caught it in the wild and cited the the Brutton paper that found it in 2013. So they do you might have to send me that paper. I sure. might need to uh, yeah. add that into my blackhead episode. Yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. do, we'll do. And and from what I can tell, it's the same mechanic. It's kind of that neck, yep, bottom Side jaw speed. as the shovel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just so badass. I just, I just think that's the coolest thing, you know. Yeah. I, um, one of my Wilmas, I didn't catch catch him in the act, but he moved a significant amount of substrate around to plug up the front of a half log hide. Um, hmm, he, right, and he like made it a completely closed off little thing, which is so cool. And I didn't see him do it, but I have to assume, you know, he might have been doing that kind of thing to push all that around. But I got to get a Wilma on sand, like just. That'll be so cool. So I plan put to put a that camera now. in there to film it, see yeah. what behaviors you capture. Yeah. So here, if you if you're gonna do that, are you gonna go full sand? Are you gonna go sand soil substrate? Like, what's your what are you thinking with that? Have you thought about it? I haven't put enough thought in, into it to know. Um, right. But yeah, what's what's holding me back from doing that is just 
sand is so heavy and yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a pain in my second story apartment. But eh. I just go to Home Depot and get a bag of play sand. Play sand. <laughs> but there's also like, you know, there's there's reptile products out there like Reptisoil made by ZooMed that like has sand in it and you can mix that with more sand. And right. that stuff also has like peat moss and cocoa and spag and a few other things like that. So, nice. you know, you could get creative and make stuff that could hold den shape, for example, or. Yeah, it would just yeah. be interesting to see if if they uh, instinctively do that once mm-hmm. the opportunity is presented, like the video that, that Eric showed. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, pretty cool. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I would be super excited to be watching that happen. Like, what? <laughs> you guys would get like video clip after video clip. You'd Just be like, okay, we everything. get it. It's digging. <laughs> like, woo. That'd be the coolest thing to see, though. Yeah. That would be so neat to have like a big enclosure and offer, you know, the opportunity to go do that and you catch it on film. 100%. Yeah. 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 They live in Earth's <laughs> That's funny. I would have called Fresno that, but never mind. <laughs> I don't know. Well, maybe Philadelphia is the East Coast version of Yeah, that. maybe. Maybe. Uh, That's crazy. Um, yeah, you could you could mix like play sand. Oh, pool filter sand. Cleaners usually smaller, uh, but you'll have to get a bunch. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Good point, Ryan. Yeah. Um, yeah, did you, you did you guys see the uh, the the article that was posted by the Rattlesnake Conservancy about snakes being able to hear? Oh no! Yes, I I saw it. I didn't read it in depth yet, but yes, I did see that. Did you, did you so, read it? Yeah, yeah, and I've got it pulled up right here, and it's just two short paragraphs to really like you know quickly explain it, and they've got a diagram that shows. Um, uh, the skeletal structure of the snake's head. And then they've got a second diagram below where they've x-rayed and then died and highlighted the internal structure that you can't see through the bone. Um, and so, you know, obviously everybody kind of knows the old adage that snakes, they don't hear anything. We've sort of loosely assumed that they can feel vibrations from noise waves and sound waves and all this stuff. But like, that was kind of it. So this, this post, um, it basically says, unlike what common belief suggests, snakes can hear. You may be familiar with the three bones in the middle ear of mammals, which allow us to hear, the malleus, incus, and stapes. Snakes don't have that. Instead, they have just one middle ear bone called the columella. And so they have that highlighted in this, uh, this diagram here in green. The columella is connected to their lower quadrate bone, which is blue in the diagram. So it's like the little vertical part that connects to the lower um, jaw in the back. And that's what allows them to hear. So another common misconception is that snakes can only sense and hear vibrations through the ground with their jaw. They can also hear airborne sounds. However, they're not hearing uh, airborne sounds like we do. Vibrations through the air, like people talking or keys on keyboard, hit the snake and are transferred into its body for the snake to process. They can't hear everything, though. They can only process sounds between 80 and 1,000 hertz. In contrast, we can hear sounds between 20 and 20,000 hertz. So they can hear, but they can't necessarily hear a typical songbird, which transmits a 2,500 hertz and above. Right. Snakes use their hearing to detect predators and prey. So they can hear low frequency noises. Um, I'll, uh, 
I don't know if I can somehow like share this in our chat or something, or if you can bring it up, Eric, I've shared it on my Facebook page because it was just, it was so wild to see. It was really cool, cool to see the diagram, but yeah, basically your snakes can hear. I've definitely noticed when I'm like jamming, when I'm playing guitar, <laughs> that the snakes will come <laughs> out and be like, what the hell, yeah. you know? Nice. <laughs> so yeah, yeah I that feel frequency like... range. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go for it. I was just going to say, what'd you say? 50 to, to a thousand? Uh, 80 to a thousand. 80 to a thousand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's kind so of the low rumbly low. stuff. And mm -hmm. then the mids, like yeah, the really tinny sounds are around like 600 to 800. Mm -hmm. Um, that's that's very interesting. Yeah, I would imagine that allows them to hear maybe stomping of predators coming or uh, foot footsteps of prey or you know certain sounds that might be necessary for them to evade or investigate further. Mm -hmm. Well, there's quite a lot in that range. I I don't know if anybody like plays in digital audio workstations. Like you can pull up your your. Uh, digital EQ and just like mm -hmm. scan the frequency range, like even sounds that are more uh, anchored in the highs, like, you know, around the, the 1500 range, like there are aspects of that sound, there are overtones in the lower frequencies. So they could probably hear a whole bit, just maybe sometimes it, they can only, if it's a thousand or below, they're only hearing the lower harmonics of the sound. Like mm -hmm. sounds weird. I, I minored in electronic music, shit and not, <laughs> like a sound like my voice right now is not just uh -huh. one frequency like right. there's it's a amalgamation of different frequencies so i would sound different to a snake that only hears a thousand and below but it would hear me even if i have frequencies above a thousand in in my anyway i'm totally nerding out sorry no that <laughs> yeah, that, no. Helped, that helped me sort of quantify it a little bit more yeah. yeah, yeah. Riley, what page is it on your Facebook page or Yeah, just on my oh. personal page here. I'll uh I'll tag you in it. <laughs> Ryan Cox. I've noticed the same when I plug in my uke and get funky with the pedal. <laughs> 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 Love that. Uh, country here we go. boy. <laughs> uh, okay. They definitely hear drums. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we want to share that picture. Okay, hold on one sec. Yeah, it's got a really cool diagram that's worth worth checking out. Ooh, is that what you're talking about? Yep, that, that picture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So the the top picture you can see sort of it has a scan of the snake's skull, and then it's got the lower jawbone, the mandible highlighted in red, and then the columella is the part that's highlighted in. Uh, green. The columella mm -hmm. is the, the green one. So that little tiny bone that connects from the jawbone that goes into that internal structure is essentially what's picking up the vibrations at those lower frequencies. Huh. I always forget how cool snake skulls look. Yeah. It's <laughs> just yeah. so cool. <laughs> Got one on my arm, bro. Oh, <laughs> Dude, I want more tattoos, but my I know my Life tattoo guy disappeared during COVID. He disappeared oh, all his there's, stuff. There's more than one out. I know, sure but I like that guy. It's like changing a hairdresser. It's <laughs> oh, sad, I know. You know. Oh, I know. <laughs> all, all of my work was done by my buddy Chris you, down you in Santa Barbara. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, especially with tattoos. Yeah. Yeah, man. I yeah, know. the world's become too expensive. I, I haven't I haven't gone under the needle in three and a half years wow 
it's it's wow. dude it's a craving like i crave it. oh it's addicting for sure oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, the pain it feels so it hurts so good i used to look forward to it once a month you know i would go get another sitting on the the portrait piece and and i just miss it so badly and yeah. there's a lot more i want to do but damn car freaking black hole of money <laughs> oh well <laughs> i have to share this um, uh-oh uh-oh <laughs> um so like I posted up so Mike, you know, um Ooh, the monitor Gorums, guy, Mike's yeah. monitors, right? He posts up King Gorum. And I'm just like, oh man, they're so cool. Look at the another cool little monitor species. Add them to you know the list. Maybe as one that I look at, blah 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 blah. Another one on the list. He's like, Eric Burke, replace cowbell with monitors. I told you, bro. <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> I got scared. a fever. <laughs> Maybe. very good oh man yeah monitors dude they're they're addicting they're really addicting so funny thing is right owen comes over the weekend right and this is the first time he saw my ackies and whatnot oh. and, you know he's like uh he's like all right let me see it you know you know in true owen form he's like all right let me see what you're talking about what's the big deal blah, 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 blah. i'm like come on man come in here come here come here look and it just so happened that the one was out and I was like, oh, thank God, you know, because otherwise he's just going to look at this empty terrarium. And <laughs> right. Whatever. So then it, it's like running around and like looking at him and whatever. It's like, oh, it's a different monkey that's looking at me today. What's going on? What is this here? You know? And he's just like, oh, yeah, that is pretty cool. And then I like threw in some crickets and it was like chasing them down. Oh, and yeah. Ripping them <laughs> apart and stuff. And he's like, OK, I get it. I get mm-hmm. it. <laughs> That's awesome. They're, yeah, they're freaking cool, man. We've got a bunch of baby Savannah monitors in at the shop. They're like this big. And yeah. you throw crickets in there and an explosion. Yeah. And just watching them hunt and, and thinking about what their perspective <sighs> is when they're that little is like the coolest thing. Yeah. I saw the other day I noticed, right? I, I throw in a bunch of crickets. And the one is like, it, it bites the one cricket and then another one comes walking by and it just like shakes it real quick and puts it down and grabs the other one and shakes <laughs> it real quick and puts it down. And it's just like killing all these crickets, but it went back <laughs> and it ate them all. I'm like, wow, it's probably like, you know, to me, that shows like a, that like there's squirrels thinking. storing nuts. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Talk about Reminds the squirrel. We talked that. about the squirrel too. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> I thought about <laughs> Owen today. I thought about him. So some I- squirrels? Well, I see squirrels all the time, but driving out to the vet, some the city made like this squirrel highway across the freeway. <laughs> it's like this net suspended across. I'm like, that that can only be for fucking squirrels. <laughs> like, ah, Owen's Owen's kin. <laughs> what were you gonna say, Lucas? You were gonna say something. Oh, I was just gonna say that story reminded me of the shitty new Jurassic World movies where they're like, Oh, it's killing for fun. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the man. like GMO dinosaur they create, yeah. Right. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whose idea was that? GMO dinosaur. <laughs> How do you ruin such a good concept of a oh, franchise? Man. That's too funny. That's too funny. See, uh, this this is my favorite part of the of my week is this show right here. Not only do we get to we get to connect with people outside of our little bubble. So it feels like COVID is on pause, but then I get to right. hear perspectives from people that say shit like that. Where I'm like, I would have never heard that all week, but instead I'm yeah. here and I did. And it was freaking gold. Monsanto. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes. Welcome uh, to Jurassic the New World. Brought to you by <laughs> brought to you by Monsanto. And Jeff yes. Bezos. Yes. Oh my god, that's too funny. That's uh, too funny. That's, oh yeah. Agreed. Uh, this is great. It's probably <laughs> true. Though. Yeah, it probably is. If you think about it. Yeah. Oh man. So so I got I got a question, Eric. Since since you're kind of in this this mental shift about your keeping and and where you're headed in your direction and you have this from my perspective it seems like you have this newfound clairvoyance that kind of has come from traveling and being locked down and having checked all the boxes and having this collection and gone through all these these motions and experiences with all these different species what what do you think people as a whole as keep as keepers of their species that they love what do you think I don't know if there is an answer, but what do you think it is that needs to happen in, in reptile keeping as far as people just being honest with themselves and their trajectory and, and where they should end up, whether it's with carpets or not. I mean, carpets are the best. So, you know, everybody who's not ending up on carpets is doing it wrong. But yeah. aside from that, like you, you've come, you've, you've gone through this trajectory, you have this hindsight. What, what would you, what would you tell somebody that's like so overwhelmed with, the reptile hobby as it is and the amount of species and what you can do and how you can go down these rabbit holes, what would be like a little gold nugget of like, you know, hindsight is 2020 in this, this so, reptile world. So I recently had this with North American colubrids, mm -hmm. right. Um, where, and you guys know this because I talked to you, right. Um, it's like you start talking to people and you sort of, if you're talking to the right people, whatever species they're working with or they're excited about, it gets you excited, you know? And you're like, well, I want to be part of that. Mm -hmm. And you sort of start to go down the rabbit hole and you start to look at stuff. And then you see, because I mean, there's so many cool species to work with, you know? Um, and it, I, I, I think... I think in all of us, I, I, I think there's something about reptile keepers that we have this, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but we have like this hoarding mentality or like complete the set. I, I got it. You know, it's like complete yeah. the set thing or like, you know, I have to work with all these species and whatnot. I think the thing that I've learned the most is like, I get so focused on figuring out what's next that I don't appreciate what I have right now. Mm. And like, I think that, like, it, it, you know, for me, I'm trying to appreciate what I have right now. Like, when I think about, you know, Eric from 2002, it was a dream to own an inland carpet, a Darwin carpet, a rough scale. You know, it was just a dream. It, like, to me, it's, it's, like, it's sort of like what we think about with Owen Pelly's now. It's like, will that ever happen? I, I don't, I don't think so, but man, they're cool snakes. You know what I mean? So you sort of have this, like, I don't know. You have this idea that, you know, you always want that other thing. And, you know, for North American colubrids, how I personally tick the box is field herping, you know, like field herping sort of like lets me appreciate them in a different way. And I don't have to worry about, somehow cutting my collection down mm -hmm. or somehow like 
not taking or or comprom let me put it this way i don't have to worry about compromising care because i want to to be a part of the people that you're hanging around and if they keep a different species right um i think that that for me that's why i like to sometimes step outside of my world and talk to other people that don't necessarily keep um things that i keep and I think that if the reptile community did more of that, we would have more open-mindedness, uh, op uh, more of an open mind with how we approach things, and just with each other. You know, um, I think that I think that if the reptile, I think if the reptile uh, like community would just keep what they want and not worry about what other people are keeping and keep what gets them excited, you know then all of the species would be sort of put into the uh like everybody would be working with the things that that are in the hobby because you're going to have people that are passionate about you know gargoyle geckos and you're going to have people that are passionate about you know diamond pythons and some people love poplin pythons and some people like milk snakes king snakes you know you name yeah. it like you know i i don't know just get ex I don't know. That would that I guess that would be sort of like how I sort of cope with that and sort of have a vision of where your collection's going to go. Like what do you ultimately want to do? Where where do you ultimately want to see yourself in in 2 years and 5 years and 10 years and sort of plan out um what you want to do. I think I think if you focus on what you want and what brings you excitement and what finds and brings you enjoyment Ultimately, it's going to make for the best lives for the animal because you're going to be tuned into what they're doing. If you don't get excitement, like I never understood. And this is why I couldn't do it as a business, because I never understood the idea of like, well, I breed these because they make me money mm -hmm. yeah. and not. And, the, and, and it's OK if you like that species, but yeah. we've all talked to people that do it and they don't like the species they're working with. Like, yeah. How are you going to pass that along or sell that to somebody else? When you don't like it, yeah, <laughs> disingenuously, you know, it, yeah, it, yeah. I don't know if that answers the question, but no, it did. Absolutely, it did. It, I, I, there, that question was kind of loaded because it wasn't a yes or no or a, a clean answer, short and sweet sort of thing. It is. It, it was really going to vary from person to person who it's asked, but you know, I think a lot of people go through their trajectory where they're like, okay, they just find out about it, and there's the the honeymoon phase where everything's just novel and exciting. And then they get to a point yeah. where they're over obsessed with the online stuff. And then they, they come back to what they love and then they yeah. get to a point where like, what's next. And, and I think about the legacy I want to leave behind and where I want to be with keeping reptiles and what do I want to have and look back on in 20 years and, you know, when it's okay to morally decide to cut out a species or add something, or if you're going to be one of those hyper-focused people that only stays in one lane and, Mm -hmm. I just, I think about that all the time and, and how it pertains to this sort of like social media created taboo and, and approach to keeping that is very much uh, like, a sh like a, a, sh a race, like a show off sort of thing. And just, I don't know. I just, I think about that and how it affects people's collections and decision-making processes and, and then how the, the progression of the hobby adds a layer of influence on that and i just you yeah. know it's always changing everything's 
in flux and I don't know, I, you know, I constantly am reevaluating my collection and, and thinking about that in the future and, you know, what responsibilities we have to some of these species. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, it's, there isn't really an answer to satisfy the question. You know what I mean? It's always changing. So I just, I think that's something that more keepers should really think about. Um, because it's really easy to get caught up in the excitement and the energy that's contagious in the reptile little circles and bubbles everywhere. And yeah, yeah I think you nailed it mentioning, you know, people breeding stuff just for money, but not because they love it. And, uh, right. yeah. Or, I, or acquiring the trendy thing at the time, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. right. you know, the thing that everybody seems to be getting into and you're like, Oh, I need that. But it's but the it's most, like, it's the most frustrating thing for me sitting on the outside when I see somebody shelling out tons of money mm-hmm. just to get a species so they can say they have that species. Yeah. And be like, one I feel like last cool year kids. it was Sanzinia. <laughs> it's just like, bam, 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 bam. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like Dumerals had that little wave of it. And now it's like lace monitors. Like you're not cool. Black unless milk you have... snakes. Yeah. Like all these things. It's just like, Dude, you do so, you really like them, or are you getting into it because like for the status thing? These other people are really excited, and they get a lot of attention. So you want some of that attention? Yeah, I think that just zeroing in on what actually is your species, right? It might not only yeah. be one, but like what you are passionate about, like that really, I think, resonates with me as as being the key. And then, you know. Like maybe for some people, they really can just do that with one species. Maybe for mm-hmm. somebody else, it's mm-hmm. maybe more like me where like four species are my favorite species. Right. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, you're right. still you're still keeping them because they resonate with you, not because of any superficial, like external reasons. You know, like, right. I don't care if people think false water cobras are lame or, or brettles pythons are, you know, oh, everybody has those now. Like, that's not why I yeah keep i keep because they resonate with me and i find their natural history and behaviors and you know just fascinating you know yeah imagine if there was no social media there was no sharing photographs there was no instagram you still had access to information the internet still existed but this like social atmosphere didn't exist how how different would your collection be if if that were the case and you never had it and you didn't have those external influences and you were subject to your own devices and exploration all well, last but ideas. <laughs> it's funny you say that because I experienced that. I lived that when I was yeah, younger. Yeah. You know, yeah. I lived through that mm-hmm. not having like when I was coming when I was growing up in the reptile hobby, there was no internet, there was no social right. media. The, right. You know, you would be lucky. I mean, like the, the the coolest thing for me was going to um uh Philadelphia Herp Society, right? And meeting people that kept like, oh, shit, there's actually other people that keep reptiles. Like to me, it was just the thing that me and my dad did. You know what I mean? That was that was kind of what it is. And now that I was thinking about that, probably the biggest shift for me is my dad coming back into the hobby. And he I'm sitting there. We're drinking a beer. We're just shooting the shit. I'm super excited that he's, you know, he's he's back into it and keeping animals and excited about it again. And you know, again, I say this all the time, but it just it amazed me with like, no, he doesn't have Facebook. He's not on Facebook. He doesn't even know what Instagram is. Right. Um, so like, he's. I mean, he's 70 years old. So like, uh, he's 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 building naturalistic vivariums 
from scratch with no <laughs> direction, no book, yeah. no nothing. Like just his just his knowledge of the environment and reptiles and saying, okay, what does this reptile do? What does it need? Oh, look, they have that. Oh, look, you know, and then like he built it and it's just like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, yeah. like super impressed with that. And like, you know, we're sitting there and he says to me, he's like, yeah, I don't understand why you have your snakes in those, in a, you know, in racks or he calls them bins or whatever. He's right. like, you know, I don't understand that because you never get to see them. What the hell's the point of keeping them if you don't get to see them? Right. Yeah. And I'm like, well, <laughs> goddamn, you're right. <laughs> I, think, I think one thing that would only be beneficial is if the hobby could pivot towards viewing the animals more as a piece of an ecosystem and like an yes. animal rather than yeah. like a piece of art yeah. or, or an yeah. object to be collected, yeah. if you will. I think yeah. that that would only be a good thing. Um, I see. I see a lot of people that treat reptiles as like a commodity and a novelty just from the pet store because like they're common people coming into it and they literally treat them like a trinket where like if it dies, they're like, oh, I just did something bad. Like it's a plant. Like they don't feel right. bad. Right. Um, it's interesting how that. Even that the fish people works. don't look at fish that way. Like, yeah, fish know? people are diehards, <laughs> yeah. man. I, I remember when I was, you know, buttering up my parents to get my first snake. Like you were saying, Eric, there wasn't there wasn't uh, social media or anything. I remember when my mom brought our first computer home and it like had to boot up for super long, take hours to get on the Internet. And you had to make sure you weren't using the phone and all this stuff. But it wasn't it wasn't used for sending photos or anything. Like if I wanted to go learn about snakes Tuesday after school with my dad, we'd go to the library, you know, and spend an hour pulling books out or whatever or. You know, I'd get books yeah. for my birthday and Christmas and stuff. And you go look at that stuff. And it's all like old reptile books. And and that's where I got all that information from. I didn't know anything about Australian reptiles as a kid. What I knew was what was around me and what the native books talked about yeah. was native to me. So naturally, yep. I ended up with a California king snake as my first snake and just went down mm-hmm. the rabbit hole that way. And then, mm-hmm. you know, as the hobby grew, I remember learning about bearded dragons and leopard geckos and having those with my brother and, and seeing an albino berm when those things first came to the States at a shop and, and all this stuff and not really understanding the bigger picture out there that we see now because it's literally thrust upon us in our pockets from, you know, cell phones and social media and everything. And it's just, it's, it's different where like, if you think about why people kept reptiles back then, it was so much more genuine because there was no social taboos or, clout chasing or anything and now you have you have to dissect between newcomers are they really in it because they like this Mm -hmm. or are they or are they doing this because they just want to make a name for themselves and have attention and and fame and numbers or whatever statistics that you know they chase and and that's that's kind of been like the most apparent thing for me lately and it's just so it makes me think about why are people really keeping why am i really keeping mm-hmm. do i really want to keep all of this do i want more do i need it you know and i just i'm just constantly like introverted and retrospective about all all that it's, yeah yeah it's good to be. i think it's yeah <laughs> I, yeah exactly i think uh you know if you're doing that you're trying to figure out what's best for the animal rather than what's best necessarily you know for you i guess you know and um you know like bolin's pythons to me is one of those things right to me it's like i i get i get it 
but in the same ex, ex, the same breath, I feel like they're only they only have this mystique about them because everybody wants to be the person that does it. Right. And then I think that the the thing that gets lost there is you got guys like Keith. Keith is 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 one hundred percent authentically mesmerized by these animals. Like mesmerized by like i mean and you can just read his posts where he's thinking about when he was breeding birds and like how does that equate into keeping bones but like i mean he's thinking so far outside the box in order to to figure out like why is this species so difficult to breed in captivity like what is it about this thing mm-hmm. so like mm-hmm. Like I know sometimes like my, so my exposure to people with Boland's pythons are guys like him and Ari, right? So Ari's traveling halfway around the world, climbing mountains, getting malaria in a in a uh, in a hut, right? <laughs> and to try to figure out to get more information about these animals. I mean, I don't know how more passionate you can be right. than yeah. that. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, that's the real deal. And then you guys, guys like Keith, who's sort of like trying to, you know, pick his brain to like, like, I mean, like the details that he's focused on, like Ari would send a video and, and, you know, Keith is looking at that video as if he was walking in that environment. And like, I mean, to, to just be around that guy and to be, be, be exposed to his brain has changed the way I think about reptiles in, in, in the, the biggest way he is the biggest influence on me um than anything you know and and just and he probably doesn't even know that but like and i don't i don't keep what he keeps we don't keep the same thing he keeps mostly emerald tree boas and stuff you know what i mean but like he can still get like he gets super excited when i'm talking about locality carpets i'm like keith look at this one they found you know look at this one they found and he's like oh where's that from oh my god you know it looks like the one you showed me so he's generally getting as excited about it and doesn't really keep carpets or anything like that you know but um yeah i don't know um i uh what's this yeah. eric you feel and think that way because you've been yeah yeah i guess so i'm more mature <laughs> i'm like a fine aged wine i guess <laughs> i don't <laughs> yeah um but yeah it's 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 i think i think you have to kind of go through these different things. I don't think there's anything wrong with getting a species that you're excited about and then realizing that it's not the species for you. Yep. Right. Yep. I, I've done it many times. I don't know if you guys have done it, but it's happened, oh, yeah. you know, for so, sure. Yeah. So ultimately I'm trying to figure out like what that species is that I would want to keep until it's dead. Yeah. yeah. I you think know. that I've been on that same wavelength in terms of thought and, yeah, leaning leaning towards blackheads being my thing. <laughs> yeah, I think about it a lot in terms of my Brazilian rainbow boas because I've been keeping them for years. I've bred them several times. I you know I set myself up to have some goals of breeding some generations, and they're a couple years around the corner. But I also have this love for carpets, and I also have limited space, and and I constantly reevaluate: Do I really love rainbow boas? And, and then the other thing that gets, uh, gets at me is like, if I were to not keep them, what would that do to the community? What would that do to the folks that have bought rainbows from me or, or folks that are interested in the rainbows? And I wouldn't want to, mm-hmm. you know, take something away from that, like one more valued breeder, 
breeding stock or another source of good unrelated yeah. animals. But it's not like they're a species that's in, in danger of disappearing. So, yeah. you know, I don't really like feel that concerned about it. But then at the same time, like I really enjoy, genuinely really enjoy seeing a huge litter of rainbow boas born and seeing yeah. the maternal stuff. And But at the same time, I've also done it a few times, mm -hmm. you know, the other milestones that I have to check off would be breeding something that I produced, creating my own line, you know, right. so there are other things yeah. I can do, but yeah. how much of my focus is on them right now compared to some of these other species. And it all comes down to space. Like ultimately I wouldn't be so pressed to figure this out if I had room for these animals to, you know, secure right. their future and stuff so like I mean, if i'm stuck here in this spot then i have to cut some stuff out but i am trying to buy a house so i think about like oh it'll all you know i'll just make it work until i get there and then but then when i get there what am i gonna do do i want right. to keep going like, with it or is the fact that i'm already questioning that species a red flag that i'm done i feel like it's Could a really be. good thing to check in with yourself right and and kind of identify what those species are for you at the time, but that's not mm -hmm. to say it's not going to change, right? Like right. just going with, with Keith, like he used to be the short tail guy. Right. Mm -hmm. And he just, you know, knocked that out for mm -hmm. a long time and then decided mm -hmm. it was time for something different and that's okay. You know, like you don't have to. Yeah. Because I'm be sitting here going like <laughs> those two cages would be nice for growing Apodora in. Yeah. this whole rack would be great for some I mean, more grow out carpets like to put it this yeah. way like if brett bender showed up at my door with a machete and said he was taking all of my snakes but i could keep one species right today i'd keep the plumas that's not to say that it'll be the same answer yeah in the yeah. future you know and then there's the other <laughs> aspect of it that i don't know if you guys ever think of it in terms of like how it affects like so when people get interested about a species because they saw your contagiousness and passion and energy. And then you decide that your time with that species is done. You know, I think about what, what my leaving a species would potentially do for the people that have bought into that project. Would they feel like betrayed or like they don't have a resource to go to anymore or no. that maybe it's not as important because that guy isn't into it anymore and they got, they they got excited about it. like you know I, when i got rid of my amazon tree boas i had folks tell me like i can't believe you're getting rid of amazons even though i only had them for like two three years mm -hmm. i didn't do anything with them but like i needed space they weren't my jam but somebody else got so geeked because they saw them with my channel or something well here's a question back at you if uh -huh. nick mutton decided that today he was going to sell all of his carpet pythons would you hell no no there you go <laughs> and 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 the other point is i would he would he would still be a resource and you can still be a resource you know your knowledge doesn't leave with the animals yeah um, yeah yeah it's tough like yeah. i'm not i'm not making any decisions right now that's the other thing like sleep on it is something i think yeah. about all the time but you Wait, know you're getting some... rid of all your snakes can i have your cages <laughs> hell no <laughs> hell no I ain't getting rid you know, of nothing. I, I, for me, right? This is it took me a long time to get to this spot, right? And it took me a long time to try to figure this out. And who knows, it may change in years, but I just don't see it changing for me because it's been it's been at least 15 years now that, you know, I have I love Australia. I don't know what it is about it. I don't know what it is like, but like when I went there. It's kind of like, 
I know this is going to sound corny, but it's like I, I felt at peace with the world. I, I, I don't know how else to put it. It just it, it felt like I should be here and like I was just fascinated by everything. Right. When I'm he, I, I was telling, I talked to Nipper about this and like, I don't have that same attention to detail in my own backyard. And I probably should, but for whatever reason, you know, just being exposed to the, I've only been there two times. Right. I mean, basically, I've been there a month. Right. And right. it's like, I, there's just something about the, 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 the wildlife is so unique there and it's just a it's just a play and you know it's it's if i want a piece of that so that i can come home from work and i want to go into my snake room or reptile room or whatever you want to say i want to be able to just enjoy those animals see those behaviors you know and 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 get back to that when i had that when I was just coming back into the hobby, you know, like mm. I would sit there for hours. Maybe I'd be reading a book and just chilling out or whatever, or I'd be listening to music or just, or just watching it, you know, like that feeling that we all had when we were kids getting into this and just staring at the tank, <laughs> like looking at what was in that tank and being mesmerized by what that was. You know, I'm sure growing up with Steve Irwin, probably even just put the nail into the coffin for me for Australia. Right. Mm -hmm. Because when I, when I was coming up into my formative years, everything was about Steve Irwin, Australia, you know, animal planet, everything Australia. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I'm sure that, yeah. that, that just pushed it to solidify that for me. But, um, sure. yeah. Yeah. Man, so that's I mean, why, that's why I'm where I am, you know? It's awesome. And I guess, you know, my turn to go hippie and I went to UC Santa Cruz. I'm not afraid to be hippie, but okay. <laughs> you know, it, it's just, it, you found a place that energizes your spirit. Right. And like yes. how much of life is just chasing a feeling, even if yes. it's something you only felt for a second and you're just desperately yes. trying to get it back. Like that's what actually makes you present and makes you feel like you're actually living your life instead of just being yes. the floating head. And you're like, how the hell did three years just go by? Like I, you know, <laughs> right. so I think it makes total sense. And I think that when you find something like that, you are doing yourself a disservice if you're doing anything, but, you know, pursuing that, um, yeah. that, that yeah. thread, you know, yeah. like yeah. why, why, why not? <laughs> sure. Yeah. The, yeah. Re the reason why I bring this up is not only because it is good to revisit and discuss and reevaluate and assess and, and, you know, kind of hone your trajectory all the time. But I find myself, you know, thinking about what I want in the future and what I want my collection to look like. And as much as I love diversity, you can't have everything. And uh, right. I find myself, you know, looking at the different species I have and evaluating why they're here, why I keep them, why mm -hmm. I still work with them. What are my goals? Things like that. And, and with rainbow boas in particular, I find myself saying, well, they're beautiful. I enjoy them. They're pretty to look at. I don't ever right. handle them. I let them right. be, I just care for them and they sell really well. And I produce them with minimal effort and they do really well and they fund stuff here. And mm -hmm. instantly I'm aware of the fact that, some of my reasonings that I just listed have to do with paying for the other stuff. Mm -hmm. Right. And what I've just 
sort of spoken without maybe necessarily realize is that they're not my priority. Hmm. I love them. They're wonderful. I make beautiful animals with them. They are beautiful. I cherish these animals, Mm -hmm. but am I really into them? Like I am with carpets. And if you'd asked me that a few years ago, yeah, I'd tell you like they're the bee's knees. And now I I find myself like, you know, obviously Morelia entrenched. Um, But then I also, you know, I've, I've got this interest in, Crebos and Apodora and sure, your mad hogs and whatnot. yeah but like <laughs> right. even then like I start like thinking about like if stuff had to go like if I had to chop something out what would what would be the last to go mm-hmm. and what that means for me is it puts things in a in a spectrum and a bit of a, a hierarchy and I've right. done that over the years because it's always been space constraints but um you know I don't ever see myself getting rid of Morelia or Papuan carpets or shit crebos for that matter but like right you know i love the mad hogs i love the rainbows i get a lot of satisfaction out of them but why am i doing them you know like for the mad hogs it's because mm-hmm. i feel like i want to you know unlock them a little bit more but now i see other people keeping them and figuring it out it's like maybe there isn't as much pressure for me mentally with that species so you know how would i feel cutting them out to make room for morelia and right. that's the question I'm constantly asking myself. And it's pretty painfully obvious that Morelia are the top for me mm-hmm. um, yeah. right there with, with Apodora, like Apodora. I, I couldn't pick the pick between like a Papuan carpet or a Papuan Python, to be honest right now. Like I really couldn't because mm-hmm. I think about why I love carpets and what got me into them and why I love Apodora and what got me into them. And those two, two experiences are, they're two very profound experiences that are on the same playing field as far as how impactful they were on me. And that's why those species are here. And I think about the other ones and why they're here. And, and over the years, how have my feelings changed about the hobby and these species and what I'm doing and my goals. And, and it's just, there isn't an answer for me right now. And I don't have, you know, the, like there's some uncertainty about the future and that's, what's making me ask this a lot. And it's just, Something I think that, you know, I, I always appreciate getting outside perspective on. So, you know, Owen is, um, I don't want to speak for him, but I, I can, and you guys kind of know this, right? For four years, in the early years, he kind of kept coastal carpets and, you know, he had maybe, I don't think he had any jungles. I think it was the majority was like coastal carpets, right? And he had like a couple like king snakes and corn snakes and you know that was sort of his collection and um as we were as we were you know progressing in in npr and as the years would go by we're exposed to more and more people and you know you get that itch right you know you're talking to people they have x you know you and then you sort of like one x and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um owen sort of struggled with the same thing and he sort of was like you know wanted to get into colubrids you know and like he sort of like hesitated to do that because he felt that somehow people wouldn't look at him the same as being the guy on npr and to lucas's point earlier you know i kind of said the same thing to owen like dude just because you're now working with colubrids doesn't mean that you don't have the information still about keeping yeah. carpets, mm-hmm, you know, right. like Eugene Bissett, you can still ask him about keeping green trees, even though he doesn't keep green tree, you know what I mean? Or, or Burmese mm-hmm. Python is probably a better example. You know, he, I, I remember him on NPR saying that's like his favorite snake. And if he could work with any snake, that would be the one, but you know, he, he feels not that that's not commercially viable 
and it's probably not the responsible thing to do. So he doesn't breed them, but you know, that's sort of his snake and he's approaching it from a strictly business point of view. And, you know, Owen sort of was like, you know, and then once he started getting it and seeing that people didn't like lose anything for him, if anything, he became more, more of the go-to guy because he experienced stuff outside of the carpet python world whereas at the time i was sort of just into cart like it was carpet pythons and that was my collection you know maybe some scrubs you know back and forth here and there but you know at the time they were all morelia so mm -hmm. his experience with things and his exposure to other people that are outside of our circle would immediately be drawn to Owen instead of of me because they're looking at him as the guy that has a more diverse collection. Mm -hmm. And he's super excited about, you know, cave dwelling rat snakes. And I'm just like, I don't get it, but you know <laughs> what I mean? It's like, it's his thing. And I get excited for him about it, but that doesn't mean that like we can't talk reptiles and I can't listen to his experiences with, you know, dealing with, you know, whatever he's dealing with as far as, you know, these big colubrids that shit and bite the shit. You know what I mean? It's just, that's his wheelhouse, you know? Yeah. And I'm glad that he's finally gotten to a spot where he sort of is, is sort of happy with what he has rather than trying to make other people happy with what he has. If that sure. makes sense. Yeah. 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 I find myself being internally torn and pulled in two directions, wanting to complete yeah. my carpet set and wanting to focus, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's hard, man. It's hard, you know? And uh, I'm sort of at that, we were talking about it before we started and it's sort of like, you know, I don't know if I want to do the carpet morph thing anymore. Like if I'm not doing this as a, if it's not a business and I'm not into selling snakes, why do I care if I have a, albino caramel zebra mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. i what what why <laughs> like what's right. the point you yeah. know um and that's the question you know and, and right everybody's answer to that question will be their own you know so yeah that's i would much rather have that blue tongue skink and and experience that or the ackies than have that you know albino caramel whatever blah 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 that means that doesn't mean that i don't Right. That doesn't mean that I don't like morphs. That doesn't mean that I'm anti-morph. That doesn't mean any of that. It just means that I guess I'm just at a different point, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think, yeah. uh, I think Agreed. to say that anyone's collection is static and will never change is silly, but it's also yeah. hard to imagine some of that change at times. Yeah, no, I, I, I can I can relate like I, I have no intention of getting rid of any of the brittle stuff that I have that, you know, will throw stripes and stonewash and hypo, you know, I think that's great. But in terms of like, if I could add, you know, 10 setups right now and, and add animals like they would all probably not be morphs. So that's just what I'm interested right. in now, mm -hmm. you know, right. and mm -hmm. yeah. that doesn't mean I don't look forward to seeing what a stonewash stripe looks like in person. You know, it just mm -hmm. means that, that my priorities uh, for the future have shifted, you know, yeah. and, and yeah. that's fine. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> that's progress. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I'm sort of the same way. It's like, I, and, and again, maybe this is the, the, the seeing the natural, not that I've seen a natural Bradley in the wild or anything like that, mm -hmm. you know, that would be a dream, but like, you know, 
yeah uh yeah sure it's kind of like that blackhead that they found right you know in in, 10 years ago probably spotted calico peppery sugar looking crazy yeah (laughs) yeah cool looking snake very very cool looking snake but yeah at the same time i'm like oh yeah i i yeah but what's wrong with just a blackhead (laughs) like i mean yeah. Do you really need to change? Like I anything got a about magic golden ticket from the Australian government. That's like you can have one blackhead from the wild. I'm picking a yeah. normal one. I'm not picking the special yes! one. But it's cool to see it. Yes. You know, it's it's like yeah. the the albino whale or whatever. The like mm-hmm. one white whale that's swimming around. It's like, well, that's sure. cool. But yeah. you know what? Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, that's all that's going for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's just the 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 never ending internal evaluative discussion, struggle, whatever you want to call it. (laughs) I think that eventually you do get to a point where you start to become content. Mm -hmm. I am, I am very, very, very close to being at that spot. Like there's just a few things that I would like to work with more. Like, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, right? Like I'm thinking about, um, look, I'm thinking about jungle carpets. Right. And of course I like, my lightning line because it's a line that's not out there or whatever, you know, and, uh, probably would even be interested in a- adding the, uh, the MI line or M what is it? MIA? What is it? MIA? MIA, MIA line at some point, but I gotta be honest, man, I get more jazzed over the locality jungles, even if they're not legit. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> like, you know, I look at the Palmerson that I have yeah, and it's got the black belly and it's like solid black with these little portholes. And then, a, and then like this golden stripe down its back, dude, I mean, what more do you need? I, I, you know, and then if you want the, you know, the ivory version of that, you sort of have the gelatin. It's, mm-hmm. it's already ivory. What do you mean? <laughs> what do you, I, I, and then it's not to take away from the beauty of the ivory. Sure. But like for me, it's like, okay, so I could have the uh, the Russian tiger locality, uh, you know, Yakibori Depot, <laughs> you know, Rockhamptons, Port Douglas, Brisbane's, uh, you know, then for the Palmerson's, uh, the Tully's and the Gelatins for mm-hmm. jungles. And like, I'm ha- if that's all I could keep, I would be happy with that and not having any other type of you know coastal or jungle you know um for sure i don't know yeah so yeah i think for me i need to my my contentment will come when i can say that i've worked with every single group of morelia and and uh, like have my morelia room and then have yeah. the apodora room <laughs> there you go i think i think that's just what i need and that's that's what's going to make me happy yeah yeah. But then, you know, I, I see these Dumeril's boas, and I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. Crebos, oh, those are really yeah, cool. See these corn snakes, yeah, yeah those are kind of fun, you know? So it's like, just a balance. You know, it's been my test. It's kind of like, um, I I kind of like sit on it for a week. You know, yeah. I like, because when you posted those Dumeril's, you know, I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> yeah. I would love to work with them. They're cool. I would love to stare at them in a box. Like, yes, that they're pretty badass, you know? Yeah. And it's like, uh, okay, I'm going to think about this a week from now. Yeah. And then I come back a week later and it's just like, ah, yeah, they're cool, but I'm not going to keep them. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, If 
I think it would be much easier for me to stay focused if I knew that there was like some reassurance, like there's somebody out there for that species. So it's never going away. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think you sort of had that drilled in your head from like guys like myself or Nick or, you know, Nick's have said that a lot, you know, why don't keep people keep Mac lots. And I think his message was oh, sort yeah, of I have those too. <laughs> yeah. was sort of like taken in what he's trying to say is like, you know, like, why are you, why do you need to make a morph that looks like a Mac lots when you can just have a Mac lots right. and like that hobby, like from his experience, right. He sort of saw Duns come and go. You sort of see these species like rings could come and go. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, it's like a couple people working with them. And if they decide that they quit, then it's, then it's done. Right. Well, then maybe it's done. <laughs> like maybe they're just not, yeah, meant for you know captive. what I mean. Like, I, there's some yeah. animals that are, I mean, like dragon snakes, right? They're just not really made for captivity. I would, mm-hmm. th- that, that's yeah. my thought, right? Yeah, you know, sure. it's like some yeah. are are made, yeah. some are not made. There can so, be an element of round hole square peg. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. That's true. Right. That's a good point. Working with all those different species of pythons, it's legit to say that some of them just suck. They just suck, and that's why they're not that popular, you know? They're beautiful snakes, but they just suck in captivity, you know, unless you're into, you know, either getting bit all the time or, like, you don't have it dialed in correctly or, you know you know what I mean? It's like you're so – I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Some just suck. Yeah. But, Eric, that we're gonna I leave the show all with? of the snakes. <laughs> I want all of them. Every yeah. single freaking one. Sea snakes. <laughs> sea, snakes. sea snakes. Yeah, that's a perfect example. Yeah, some they're just not made for, you know, keeping them in captivity. And yeah, uh, yeah Justin's yeah. a perfect example. Like, look at him, man. Nobody gives two shits about Baird's rat snakes, right? right. But this guy right. is like got to be the most passionate dude that I've ever met about these rat snakes. And like, you know, I mean, he's just constantly like. Baird's rat snakes. Baird rat. He doesn't give a shit if they're two dollars, ten dollars, a thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars. It doesn't matter. He just he digs these snakes, and yep. I think that's what you sort of have to find. And when you find yep. that, you'll know it, and that's what you run with, you know. Yeah. Yep. And then if you find it and you decide it's blackheads, you cry because you'll never have any savings in your life, and, <laughs> and it's just going to be a miserable existence of poverty. Yeah. Yeah. Notice the blackheads are the last ones for me to get. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, uh, well, I'll keep put that one off another year. Yeah. Put that one off another year. Yeah. Oh, boy. But, yeah, I think the writing's on the wall for me. I just got to open my eyes a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Rob, Rob talked to me about this a long, like a couple years ago, right? And he mm-hmm. sort of said to me, he's like, you know, we we went back and forth because Rob's the same way, man. He's worked with so many species of reptiles, like so many different. I mean, I he's worked with more species of reptiles than I know about, probably. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like no on a good scale. And right. he just like, you know, he decided that he wasn't getting enjoyment out of it anymore because he was keeping too many and it became too much of this and too much of a hat and, you know, and it was no enjoyment out of it anymore. So he, he, he did what, you know, people dread doing and he sold a good chunk of his collection. And like Mm -hmm. within a week, he's like, dude, this is the greatest thing that I ever did. And, you know, I'm sitting there going, but I don't want to jump. 
I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, come on, man, jump off the cliff with me. And I'm like, no. I'm I like my gags up here. <laughs> yeah. He's like, nah, I'm telling you, man, cut the collection down. He's like, this is what you need to do. And he knows probably because he knows me so well. And he's like, you need to stop doing this shit. Stop doing the morph. Stop doing the jag. Stop doing all that and just sort of focus on this and 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 dial it down. And I'm telling you, you're going to be a thousand times happier with your collection. Yeah. And he was right. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that'll Thanks be our stuff. that'll be our that'll be our note that we end on. You got to trust your yes. Gut I didn't listen. want to end on that other listen to the, Yeah, <laughs> listen to the good influences in your life that are speaking because you might just have to read between the lines and yeah. see it. Right. there you go you owe it to yourself and the animals to check in and be introspective mm-hmm. and make sure that you know what you're doing and why yeah uh, maybe that's yeah. a little bit of the big picture with this whole conversation yeah 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 no nice all right yeah. well i've got to get my car over to the shop here soon so let's yep let's see who who wants to rattle off our uh our closing list of all the npr network shows that you can can find for your reptile audio endeavors. All right. I'll give it a shot. All Let's right. Lucas is oh. like, no, not me yet. <laughs> All right. So the website is moreliepythonradio.com. Um, obviously if you're listening to this, we also do a live stream on the NPR network YouTube channel. So go over there and subscribe. Um, you can follow the NPR network on Facebook and Instagram. Our email is info at moreliapythonradio.com. Uh, we also have the Teespring store, uh, which is NPR network. And we also have the Patreon, which I think we're going to do maybe our first second tier episode either next Sunday or the, uh, yeah, next Sunday. We can't do the following Sunday cause it's Easter and probably a lot of people won't be there, but yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be coming up. So if you're um, if you're interested in supporting us, go over and and uh, check that out. Bradley does a much better job at talking about the Patreon. <laughs> um, <laughs> but as far as the podcast, uh, the to go over to subscribe and share uh, is Carpet Cliff Notes, Colubrid Corner, Student of the Serpent, Carpets and Coffee, which you're listening to now. Uh, of course, the uh, original, the OG, and Moray Python Radio. Uh, the humans of herpticulture, which is I'm doing uh, one of those next week. <laughs> oh, sweet! Is it with Justin? Yeah, nice. Oh, yes, nice. Love that dude. Um, yeah. And happy then, birthday, uh, Justin. Oh yeah, yeah. Happy, happy birthday, birthday Justin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and um, uh, we have the field herping podcast coming up. Uh, that's actually got pushed to April release, and then it's going to be monthly. Uh, is what we're going to do. Um, and we also have. Uh, the monitor keeping podcast coming up. Uh, we have some guys working on that and then there's a couple, couple other ones that are in the works, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's the, uh, that's the list. So yeah, that's a lot. Good stuff. A lot. Well done. Well done. Uh, right. Uh, you can find me on all of the thingies at Centralian exotics and that's it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was a mouthful, Lucas. That was a lot. You okay Better take there? a drink, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Riley, can, where are you? You can find me on the least sensational YouTube channel ever, just under my name, Riley Jimison, if you really like boring reptile content. Um, and then just Riley's Reptiles on all the social media stuff. And uh, 
Yeah. So for the Patreon stuff, for anybody who's listening, there is a Patreon for the NPR network. Um, there's the general support tier for five bucks or you can buy us a cup of coffee. The second tier that we launched not too long ago is the inland carpet tier that gets you access to a private once a month Q and a, uh, live hour stream between all four of us, Lucas, Eric, uh, Owen and myself. Um, so yeah, we are tentatively looking at next Sunday. We, we have a list of everybody who's there. So, uh, just keep an eye on your emails. We'll try and send out an email ahead of time for that stream with link and everything and get you the info as far in advance as possible. But, uh, yeah. So don't forget to go support Eric and Owen and their decade and continuing amount of devotion to the herpticulture world. And, uh, thank you for tuning in this week and we will catch you guys next week for some more carpets and coffee and as well as all the other stuff and content we put out thank you guys for continuing the the support and we will we'll keep putting it out and we'll see y'all next week thank Woo. you Good all right thanks thanks <laughs> 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 awesome. all right later guys